Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of A Journey Through Time and Stuff. My name is Aaron, yet again. You can call me good old, let's go, uh, good old Aaron Pirate Pants. I'm wearing pirate pants today. Pirate pants, for anybody who doesn't know, are like full-length pants. Some people may call them capris, but they hit a different spot on the calf than a capri does. Usually a capri comes down lower to the bottom of the calf and just exposes an ankle. Pirate pants come up to the top midriff of the calf and uh, are better for uh, jumping over the sides of boats as you're going to the beach and not getting your pantaloons wet. Uh, they also help if you have to uh, go down in the bi- the bilge of a ship and uh, clean out the bottom. Yet again, you don't get your pantaloons wet. Um, and not only that, but in modern day uses, I don't know if you guys knew this, this is scientifically proven from like sales at sale uh, studies at Harvard and Yale and stuff like that. Um, pirate pants make you cooler. It is an important distinction. It I is. Mean, especially if you're going to get off of a pirate ship on some little Island village and pillage and plunder the town and, you know, escape with all the gold. Yeah. You can't be having wet pants, man. You can't be having wet pants. You can't be having that, that issue where like, you, if you had long pants and you hopped onto a sandy beach and there was any wetness at all, the cuffs of your pants would, would attract sand and it would get gross. And then you'd have that feeling walking, you know, just not good at all. Not good at all. Worst, so one of the worst feelings in the world, man. Yeah. Well, everybody, uh, for, for those of you wondering who that magical voice that just descended from above, like, uh, like God or something. Um, it's not, it's not, don't worry. This person is actually real. Let's, uh, give a warm welcome to the one and only Britton Anderson, the, the, uh, other quarter of the Metal Fellows podcast and somebody I have known well over 20 years of my life. So maybe not well over, but damn near 20 years of my life. So let's, uh, let's give a warm welcome to Britton Anderson. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, thank you. Long time listener, first time, uh, first time podcaster. So <laughs> first time, yeah. This is the first podcast you've ever done. <laughs> well, you know, first one on journey on, on yeah, journey three. Yeah, but well, the uh, well, it's it's not fun. the first time I've heard this side. Of, you know that that intro music though on this side of the house. So. You, you are correct. <laughs> you are correct. I have many a many a metal fellas because I'm the button masher. Uh, pressed that intro. It's been the routine. You got you know 200 episodes of pressing that button, and then I have a whole new button to press. And sometimes autopilot uh, is wrong. You know, expanding horizons, man. Muscle memories, a muscle memories, a bitch to navigate. That's for oh, sure. Yeah, and it and ends and, and correct. Um, so I, I would, I would, you, you met Rusty at what eighth grade? I think so. See, it would have been seventh grade, I think. Seventh grade, because um, I, I, yeah, I mean, through music, right? We were both in concert. Well, I was in concert band. He was in symphonic band, which you'll never let me forget. <laughs> um, but yeah, that it was about that about that time frame. I mean, I was yeah. homeschooled for the seventh grade year when I first came to Alaska, and yeah, I think it was, I think it was the eighth grade when when our our paths officially uh, formally crossed when I was in you know, public school full time. Right, so. right, and I would have been. Yeah, in tenth grade at that point, and then um, yeah, which would have made me sixteen twenty years ago. See, my math, yeah. <clears throat> my math does that right. That's crazy. 
um yeah man so you moved to alaska where'd you move to alaska from again so you know through life uh as as it as it tends to happen um i ended up moving up there in in 2000 yeah um i think it would have been 2000 uh, with my grandparents. So they had, were in the process of building their retirement home in Kenai. Um, yeah, it would have been, yeah, yeah, like the, the late spring, early summer of 2000, cause I, I left sixth grade, uh, where early at? for, where at? Uh, out of Sherwood, Oregon. Oh, oh, that's right. You were in Oregon uh, yeah. originally. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Sherwood. Yeah. That's, that's just south, just south of your current digs, ironically. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and you know, what's funny is my, my aunt and uncle, uh, were lived in Sherwood, my child, in my childhood. And so when we'd come down and come to Washington to visit my grandparents and, or, you know, come to their house in Oregon, they lived in Sherwood. And, and it's so funny to, to remember like nineties Sherwood, v- small town, mostly wooded. It was not recognized as like near or anything part of Tigard yet. Um, yep. you know, and, and, uh, that, yeah, both my cousins went to school there and, uh, and now it is nothing I mean, it is crazy. Sherwood is just Tigered now, basically. For sure. Yeah. I mean, like Wilsonville, Tigered, you know, Sherwood to Wal- uh, and uh, Newburgh yeah, New- have all kind of like collided. You know, when I was there, there was two elementary schools, one middle school, one high school. Yep. Uh, my ride to elementary school uh, and middle school was, you know, over an hour. We lived in, you know, pretty much the country between Wilsonville and Sherwood. And now there's like three other elementary schools between my old house and the elementary school I went to. So, I mean, that, that whole area has just exploded. I mean, like everywhere else, yeah, you know, no, and, I, and most popular major metros has, right. But absolutely, yeah, I, just driving through there now, you know, just what, 20 years later, it's ridiculous how much different it is. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. I was glad to, uh, I was glad to see you the last time you were here when we grabbed burgers together, that was the last time you were here. Yeah. September. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I'm, I'm coming back here in a few, uh, we'll be there in a, about a month, uh, just just shy of. So we'll have to have to actually make an in person visit to the studio happen or something like oh, that. Oh, I would I would absolutely love that. Hey, come over, check out our new digs. I'll cook for you guys. Is it, gonna, is it gonna be just you or the full fam? It'll be me and the daughter. Oh, me awesome! And the daughter, beautiful. We, uh, yeah, it should be fun. We're um, gonna be on the tail end of our Alaska trip. My daughter's gonna be a flower girl on a wedding. And, oh, wonderful! Uh, gonna gonna we're gonna diverge at, out of Seattle. The wife will come back to Denver and take care of our furry kids, and I'll take our kid to go visit the grandparents in Oregon and, and all that jazz. So wonderful, wonderful. Grandpa's 80th birthday is on May 12th. So 80. Yeah. Wow. That's that's great. I yeah. I, I haven't seen them since. Um. I mean, it would have had to been like maybe. Maybe the year after I was in high school, I think I came up for a summer and you, you and Rusty were kicking it or something on summer break. I, I, it was some sometime right in that time period. You know, I was probably 19 last time I saw your grandparents. I'll tell you, man, the uh, it's I've entered a time in my life where time scale has just become a 
relative wash where Ooh. now I just have to say, you know, a while ago or several years ago and be a little ambiguous around time. Just interesting. You know, my wife Mercedes corrects me all the time. It's like, no, that was, that was like 2018. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> funny. It's funny. I have, I, I, I play that game. You know, there are like, I, I've, I recognized even early on, uh, you know, I think before before high school is over, you don't really have a concept of time of like truly trying to remember because most of your childhood, at least for me, the way I experienced it, kind of all seemed uh, like like it was all still kind of happening at one time. You know, I, I, th- I try and think of myself like in high school and I wasn't like looking back fondly on middle school. It just seemed like kind of all of childhood was one thing. And then it wasn't, it's not till after you, f- you, after you, you leave high school and then like in your brain, you're like, well, I guess I'm not in childhood anymore. Or, you know, even if, at 16 you're like i'm a fucking adult now or whatever you would feel at the time there's there is that shift and so i try i've tried to keep time somewhat like cataloged like like high school time and I, and you know i'll remember that like in periods and then so i'll have like college post college and then moving here and then there's so there's pre oregon post oregon and i try and differentiate all that stuff like that and keep keep the tendency to like have time fade away from happening. I think, I think, I think it just takes like constant work to do that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just in my world, right. Like the last six, just like the last five or six years, you know, we've moved three times. Um, Mm. It's been, well, I've moved three times. The, the Royal, we has moved officially twice, but well, I guess three times, four times even. Yeah, it's, we had a little temporary situation here in Denver when we first got here. But yeah, man, just all of that has kind of blurred the lines together. I mean, yeah. having a kid doesn't, you know, doesn't help with that. And plus, you know, her situation, which I'll sure, I'm sure we'll dive into a bit more de- deeply. Yeah, but of course, yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's been a trip, dude, for sure. Well, and then, and then, so I guess if, if you were, you would have like, like still in, like still in Fairbanks. Right. So you would have your Alaska period and you can, and then moving out of Alaska period, um, would be, I guess, where you kind of, your, your time divergent point happens, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, we, I moved out. So I took a job in, in Anchorage in the latter part of 2019 and officially new year's day 2020 moved to anchorage like i you know strapped a strapped a mattress to the bed of my truck and filled it filled it with everything i could fit and then we were trying to figure out going to figure out a game plan to sell our place in fairbanks yeah yeah, make the move south and and then this you know the pandemic started right so all that all those plans came out the window so my apartment became a glorified storage unit for a while just Mm. working from fairbanks in the midst of you know, packing and all sorts of shit. Cause we had intended to move around spring break ish. My wife was a, is a teacher. So we were going to let her finish out the academic year, which was the game plan. Right. Uh, which we all know how that went. So yeah, yeah. it's been a, of course the pandemic exacerbated everyone's, you know, perception and perspective of place, space, time and everything else. So yeah, well, let's, let's, let's jump backwards. Um, 
to highlight, I guess, some of our our connections. You already talked about it with Rusty is is becoming friends in band and centered around music. Um, and it, it shouldn't be any a surprise to anyone to know that music is a giant part of your life. You're a fantastic drummer, percussionist. Um, you know, I've had the pleasure of watching you play many, many times throughout the years. And um, so I guess music would be kind of my first jump off point in trajectory. Um, what, uh, because I'm not entirely even sure of this myself, is like, what was... What got you into band? What got you into music? Was it classical music that came first? Rock music that came first? What What was kind of the genesis of even Pete, your interest starting music? Well, I'd been to music class. I mean, even going back to like kindergarten, first grade. So, I mean, I'd say back in the day, in the glory days when arts programs were well-funded, right? Yeah, no shit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd, I've been in band as long as I can remember. Um, and then I, I picked up percussion. Uh, one of my friends in Oregon growing up was also, you know, into drumming too. And, you know, this even dates again, you know, as well to elementary school, a kid named Corey. Right. I, I imagine uh, it would have been like third yeah. or fourth grade or something, but do you remember? So a buddy named Corey got you in too. Yeah. And that was in Sherwood. So that would have been like fourth or fifth grade. Uh, in that time frame, I think it was the, I think it was that Christmas. I actually got my first drum set and my, uh, my mom's, uh, love interest at the time, um, you know, was into, you know, Steely Dan and sticks and, you know, some okay. classic seventies, you know, early eighties type of rock, not necessarily like arena stuff, but so kind you, of branch from that into ACDC and some stuff that I could learn to play. So, but, so in the time that but, your early elementary school pre drum kit, there is, music in the house happening you're already kind of do, do i mean do you have oh yeah for sure my okay. mom has, had always had a piano oh okay I mean, yeah that, yeah well, that, that had been you know a fixture of our family house forever <laughs> you know my grandpa um you know played guitar at every waking opportunity he had in okay. fact that's a guitar that i actually st- i have in my possession still to this day oh wonderful um yeah so that's that's downstairs in my, so, in my so, studio so so live music music was being played around you okay, mm-hmm. okay see because because it's funny because on the show through all of the musicians i've talked to there is that story yeah my parents are musicians and we had music going on all the time or it, the, the cases of like yeah no man there was never really we might have a radio station on the car but music but you know i get to elementary school and, and find it and and bring it into my house and so but that's cool yeah. so you always had it going on that's good yeah, in fact, I just found it. Um, so I, I, after my mom had passed, I got a bunch of the home movies and stuff that she had had oh, yeah. in her collection. I, I had them digitized when we were moving from out of Alaska, actually, because I didn't actually want to risk them getting broken, destroyed, lost, whatever. So I sent them out, had them converted, and I went through them. There was a Christmas in 95, which – no, 93, excuse me. So I would have been like four, yeah, about four years old, um, almost five. And – the uh my grandpa's playing guitar you know in the their big great room they had and um i'm just up there just you know strumming his guitar basically for him and he's of course getting you know not irritated but you know it's like let me you know work this yeah. isn't working um but i mean that, that kind of goes to show right that's it's been a part of my life ever since yeah but however you know both my grandpa and my mom were both like they both ear trained neither one of them can read, can read music mm. um and 
never really could, never learn, never, you know, they would just all played by ear, which I mean, I, is a skill in and of itself. But, damn right. Um, but I, I, I took it upon myself, you know, around that, you know, fifth grade time frame, you know, to, you know, really read music. Cause I knew if I really wanted to, you know, to, to be a musician, which you know, was the, the grandiose scheme back then. Yeah. Um, that it was something I was going to have to do, you know, to go through that academically. And, um, I never, you know, took lessons or anything like that until, you know, later on. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, reading music was a sort of my own emphasis and my mom encouraged it too. I mean, don't get me wrong there, but it was, a definitely something that she couldn't help out with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, she I had mean, tried to learn alongside me too, but you know, other, other things were in the mix there, but yeah, it's, a that was a whole, you know, divergence from, you know, the family tradition. So, yeah, it was, it, I, I remember, I remember doing the same thing, you know, it would have been f- around fourth or fifth grade, pro- fourth grade. Cause I started playing clarinet in fourth grade band, you know, school band. And, um, I rem I, like, you know, I think, I think in music before that, cause we, you still had music classes in early elementary school, but it was like everybody, you know got a recorder out of the box of recorders and alcohol swabbed them and you learned heart cross buns and and then you every all the kids just threw the recorders back in and the next class would come in and use those recorders you know it was like it, it was uh early early school man um but i you know for oh sorry what i was gonna say i i had my own recorder and in third grade i'll actually never forget this in third grade, I played uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony solo in front of the class by memory. On the recorder. On the recorder. Du, 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 du. In third grade, like by memory. Wow. That, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's that is amazing. I was not doing that. I was. I remember using my recorder and trying to play along to Weird Al songs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but dude. there wasn't there wasn't a lot of. Uh, there wasn't a lot of that performative stuff for me early. Um, yeah, that, that's that's good, man. Good for you. Now, I was going to say, I remember, uh, yeah, fourth grade, fifth grade band, really, like, I remember I got the clarinet in fourth grade, and I don't, I, I, I got it because my mom, my grandpa played it, and my mom had an a, an original, like, old wood one, and it was my grandpa's. It wasn't a new classic. It was a real wood one, cork all that and um that was the clarinet i played uh all the way up you know through middle school and um yeah sight reading was learning to read music was probably the thing i'm the most grateful for today as a musician um yeah i you know i i quit i quit band in 8th grade uh for a reason that's just an entirely different conversation um but then i i took guitar class in high school um and it was again back to reading music and so i picked that back up and i didn't really the only thing i guess you lose is just your fluency in sight reading how fast you can play and keep up with it you you remember the notes you remember the signature key signatures like you 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 know it's just your your ease of sight reading um i i i ha- i don't have any anymore I, it takes me so long i stare at sheet music now and i'm like okay okay uh 
Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Are you still, do you still practice it? Are you still decently proficient at it? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing though. So in percussion, you kind of have two elements to that, right? You have the melodic, you know, the melodic notation for, you know, like a keyboard or a, you know, a right. xylophone, whatever. Um, but I mean, from a you know drum set perspective, percussion clef, you're, yeah, it's yeah. very much rhythmic. And you know, I still, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, drumio fan and they have uh, a whole bunch of, you know, a whole bunch of sheet music for their lessons you can download. And I used to be like a full on like pro subscriber from them. I'm not, I'm not so much anymore, but uh, I'll probably get back into that now that we're mostly settled in our living situation now, but uh, you have a yeah, spot they, they for have, a drum kit again. Yeah. I have an actual like formal studio now downstairs. I love it. Is, Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. With a door and, yeah. and all that shit, yeah. and everything too. So um, yeah. And so that that's uh, now that we're you know somewhat settled and kind of getting rolling, I've got a, a friend now here. I've been playing with regularly, you know, somewhat regularly and um, that's, yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's, that was my sight reading though, is, is, you know, pulling out those exercises. They weren't actual songs. I mean, in some cases they were, but, you know, usually there's snippets or some stuff from exercises that you would use to like, you know, permutate a, you know, a rudiment, like a paradiddle, which is a specific sticking pattern for those that are not familiar. Um, but you can use that to you know, kind of move around and make some interesting things happen on the drum kit. And that's, uh, um, that's kind of what I was doing more or less from a sight reading perspective is just kind of, you know, trying out new things, not necessarily working through songs. And then as, as far as, uh, as school band, collegiate band concerned, you went, you went pretty far in, 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 uh, high school, didn't you? Like, like you went, did co state competitions and stuff. I did. Yeah. We had so a couple, couple of things, right. So, uh, I'll kind of clarify a little bit of the kind of gap from Oregon. To oh, Alaska. please, please. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take, take us. So like fifth grade, sixth grade, you know, that gap between elementary and middle school is like middle school is where we kind of settled on what we were going to play. Right. Uh, you know, the elementary school was still very much a, you know, somewhat rudimentary music class. There wasn't really a, a band, so to speak, that we were playing that I could really recall anyway. Sixth grade, um, which a music teacher, I also won't forget Mr. Dyer, who was also a percussionist. Um, you know, the, we had, uh, Oregon State actually came to the school and did a whole, you know, sort of music in the schools kind of thing, which when I went to college, we also did, which was super cool. So it was kind of fun to see that come full circle. But, um, but that's where you know, they had the drum line come through and play too. And that's where I just, I became obsessed really with drums at that point. Um, I mean, I was, kind of always interested in that, but, you know, kind of to your point, you know, clarinet was going to be a thing. And then, um, you know, they wanted me to play trombone. Um, I think just really because there was a, wasn't really a base of people to do that. Um, but I was, you know, pretty adamant, Mr. You know, Mr. Dyer kind of, you know, reaffirmed that, uh, that interest, but, you know, really from a, you know, learning, you know, learning sheet music perspective, um, that was really the, my first foray into, you know, melodic percussion after the whole recorder thing. So from, you know, recorder going through whatever rest of elementary school, then, you know, really getting into sixth grade was where, you know, we're moving away from, you know, just playing snare drum or bass yeah, drum yeah. or whatever back into melodic instrumentation. You know, the, all of my music reading chops that I had built you know, aside from just the rhythm side. Oh, I want to highlight. Get, I wanna, how do you reconstruct it? Of course. And I want to highlight this too. For you in, in the Oregon school system at that time, sixth grade is middle school. That's Correct, the, yeah. Right, yeah. Because in Alaska, sixth grade is still elementary school. Right, yeah. That's a good point, yeah. 
interesting. Yeah, sixth, seventh, eighth was was middle school, you know, down there, and um, and yeah, that was the uh, the, the, that foray there. But six, that, that was in six, so sixth grade was the year that I moved from yep. Oregon to Alaska, and so I ended up being homeschooled uh, the remainder of sixth grade, and then into seventh, uh, you know, through seventh grade, then went back to you know public school full time in eighth grade after life had mellowed out then yeah um, but seventh grade but, you were taking music classes at sms right you would go in for band there or yes i started to and then cool. um didn't i didn't quite really stay with that that year yeah um it was and then t- ended up, t- tumultuous time yeah yeah and we'll, I mean, we'll talk about that a bit too but the that um we so we had leveraged that the program though through homeschool to help uh, pay for music lessons, private music lessons. Oh, great. And that's where I went back to focusing really on drum set, which is where my main interest was. And, um, you know, while that drum set that I had in Oregon was, was kind of left behind, um, the summer of 2001, uh, I had, you know, worked my ass off with one of my neighbors, actually one of my, my, my grandparents' neighbors who was building a house. Mm. Um, and a couple things happened that summer of 2001. One was uh, uh, the release of the PlayStation 2, which <laughs> yes. uh, was, was also acquired. But I also worked through, and, and I didn't pay for the whole thing myself, fortunately, but um, got a drum set for that fall of one, which would have been seventh, the, the seventh grade year. So, you know, working through that with uh, my drum teacher, Derek, I ended up with him. I stayed with him for well over two years, I think through all of eighth grade and he helped me kind of prep for like auditions for jazz band and stuff like that in eighth grade. And, uh, which I, I did make it. In fact, I, I think that's where I met Rusty officially was jazz band eighth grade. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if I don't remember all the intricacies of that, but, um, but anyway, yeah, then, um, I think it would have been this, like the spring, some you know, the, the spring semester of school for the second round of jazz band. But anyway, um, but yeah, like rolling in through, you know, high school and freshman year and all that, you know, that's where we kind of parted ways. But I kind of just, you know, became obsessed really at that point. I was practicing for hours every day and that was kind of my coping mechanism. Yeah. Right. right. And what, so, what, what, what were you playing at that time? Do you remember what the kind of music you were playing, what you were trying to do, what things you were practicing? Was it, was it strictly sheet music, classical derived stuff, or was it modern rock bit like music yeah so when i you know, got into got into high school and we started you know doing pet band and a lot of like the pop let's say stuff. let's say like eighth grade in eighth yeah. grade drumming when when you're when 2001 you get that drum kit back you know you get your, mm-hmm. your that kit what what uh what is the music you're listening to at that time what are you kind of your influences are you you know mm-hmm. hard rock metal classic yeah rock? so definitely in a metallica definitely in an acdc those were songs I could definitely play a lot to yeah, pretty yeah. easily um, and just kind of pick up and roll. Metallica was a little more challenging for me than at the time. But, of course. Um, like, especially earlier on in that, because that's really, I think, where my skills kind of took off um, just just due to obsession more or less than anything. Yeah, it's, but, it's, I think it's where all of ours, I mean, in our core group, especially between rusty myself and and you and i don't i don't know if jake spent a lot of real time metal grinding metallica teeth i think he was a, a a lot more of a blues oriented start 
right? Mm-hmm. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, he was definitely like in the Stevie Ray Vaughan school, yes, of, yeah, school yeah. of uh, guitar school playing, of vibes yeah. for sure. Yeah, but but yeah, um, I think you know, <laughs> I mean, man, you know, and Justice for All was. That was just the album, man. If you could, if you know, if you could play along with that, you were doing pretty good as a kid. For sure, for sure. There was one other thing too. So my teacher Derek was all in on this program. He called that was called Rock School, um, which was a series of books and CDs that you could that you you know it was a program more or less. Grades one through twelve was, you know, you, you would kind of roll through on your own pace more or less. But it was a book of sheet music that had you know sheet music for songs and you know, some exercises and stuff to play, but the CDs they came with were, you know, both with and without drums. Um, so you could play the, you know, play the song more or less. And that was the goal is you would roll through your lesson, get help with you know any specific patterns. There were some that had written fills, some that were improv fills, which, you know, as a drummer is, you know, always kind of challenging to, to, to kind of roll through the difference in interpretations and stuff like that. But, um, so, but that was the thing. So if you wanted to pass, you know, a given song and move further on or be you a know, move from, you know, grade five to six, you had to go through the performance thing with, with the teacher. And, and, uh, I went through, through all of them and that was the, I went through all of them in about, a, you know, the, that two year span. And that was, uh, it, it was a while, you know, it's called rock school, right? But it's, it's not just rock. It's a ton of different genres. Sure. You know, it's jazz, it's Cuban. There's a couple of Afro Cuban songs, especially later on. There's, uh, you know, some pop and country and all, you know, different styles to kind of get you ready for it. But that was really cool. So, yeah, man. Getting exposed to world beats is, <laughs> I, 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 you know, as an, as a like budding uh, studio musician, as well as performing musician, I'm like, I'm always looking for new inspiration and, and things like that. And it world beats, Afro-Cuban stuff, all of that Latin beats are just so important to incorporate and not just sound entirely Western (laughs) for all of your music career, you know, and it's, it's, it's so crazy that there was never, either there was none of it around and being exposed to me, or I just missed it when it was there through, through all of my young learning. I don't know, man. (laughs) So that's good that you had that and, and we're, we're getting exposed to that at that time. Yeah. And then, you know, rolling into, you know, the actual band program in school, you know, Mr. Peterson, which, you know, through your guitar class, you'll attest to, I'm sure. Oh oh, yeah. I I wanted to, fantastic human being. I wanted to give a shout out to, I was just like you, 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 you remembered your elementary school music teacher. I was so fucking fortunate, Rusty and myself both for going to Tustamina, elementary in Kasilov, uh tammy volum was our music teacher and it was like like who again another amazing human being and loves music and loves educating kids and so it was it was it was a great experience so shout out to her yeah yeah for sure and she so i had her with you know the camp peninsula orchestra yes too, which and like read out, you know, like playing through the musicals and stuff like that. And that's, yeah, that's the high school is where, you know, all the extracurricular stuff came in, right? Of so, course. Yeah. And then, yeah, um, Kent Peterson, shout out to Kent. He's oh, yeah. fantastic, even. Yeah. I still stay in touch with him, too. Actually, we were too. You know, down in Kenai this past summer, uh, you know, and went down to the, the, the river festival, Sedona, the, the Sedona Park, whatever they call it. And, you know, his little, you know, his, his group, 
played now he's retired and it's fun to see you know fun to see him again too but yeah he's he's a big part of you know my my musical career for sure if you want to call it that um but i mean that's that's led to like all northwest i was an alternate for all northwest one year i went to all state twice um we did you know solo and ensemble i you know went to state solo and ensemble all four years had never did make the command performance i was an alternate for command performance twice uh, which is, you know, essentially like the, the set, you know, the runner up, if you will, for the winner for your, for your, uh, your instrument. Uh, but yeah, the, you know, ton of fun through high school over the years with, you know, both. Band do you and remember, band. do you remember, uh, any of your solo performances in high school? What, what things you were proud of doing at that time? Oh, dude, for sure. So I did the dance of attorney to my dream theater was the, the last, I, I think that was senior year, might have been junior year. <laughs> you did do um, it. I did. So I, so I played that solo, no backing whatsoever, all from the sheet music, uh, which came off of the liquid drum theater, uh, music or the album, the DVD that Mike Portman put out. Yep. Um, and that I, I also got, you know, alternate command performance for that, for that one. Um, actually that was junior year. That was junior year because, um, Hannah King, uh, who was one grade ahead of me, I had command performance that year for her, her bit on euphonium. Um, and yeah, the, that whole, that was a, a unique one. The next year, uh, I think was a, a quite a bit more musical. Honestly, it was probably my favorite of them. It you know, certainly wasn't as challenging musically, but just from a dynamic standpoint, playing Hungarian dance number five, oh, yes. um, which I was, you know, backed by, you know, I had the, you know, the backing piano, uh, the accompaniment by the legendary Maria Allison at, at, uh, uh, when I was actually at the, you know, the competition. However, uh, Mick Audette, who he and I were a very lively couple, if you will, oh, yeah. uh, uh, played the, you know, the local ver- version. We also did that in, uh, as a side piece for a Kinabinense Orchestra show, I believe. Um, might have been a, uh, just like the local borough school. I forget what the actual thing was. We were, we were on stage at the Kenai High School Auditorium. And I did that together and just, you know, our mannerisms, we were just playing off each other. That's that I'll never forget that either. It's one of those ones I wish was on video. Oh man. Just cause of, I mean, if you're yeah. not familiar with the, with the piece, it's a, it's a fun one to in and of itself, but Everybody our interpretation, it like he, he and I were, were playing off each other. It was, it was a lot, it was a ton of fun. Uh, and then that kind of came through in the, the, the um, state competition for, you know, version two. And that was an, also a, a command performance alternate year. Dude, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. I, I, uh, I was, I've always envious is a weird word, but it's, it's kind of the right one of, of, you know, you watching you do it rusty, uh, and all of his accomplishments as far as music. And then just knowing that if I would have stuck it out, I, I, I probably would, you know, would have had the opportunity to, instead I, I didn't, I chased far, far less meaningful, uh, pursuits in high school. So. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's always an interesting fork in the road, right? Cause I, at that point, I think by my junior year, I was pretty set that, you know, I wanted to go to school for music. Yeah. That was kind of my, my thought process. I had gotten first chair for the borough honor band, um, which was uh, also less. So my, I think it was my freshman year for all state when I went, um, the 
director for the state competition was a guy named Robert Ponto, who uh, was the director for the University of Oregon, which I was born in Springfield, just outside of Eugene. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. I had been on the Autzen Stadium field the year it opened for, you know, with their the marching band thing that they had for that, that summer. Um, you know, one of those kind of things that has kind of drawn me back there. And, you know, I wanted to go there, you know, really bad. I, I really did. And then when Honor Band, my, I think it was my senior year, might have been junior, I forget, but he was the borough Honor Band director that year. Um, and I had a, you know, somewhat serious conversation with him at the time about, you know, going to UFO and all that. And, you know, of course, conversation in person was, you know, lively, but, you know, once he goes back and email doesn't really quite work out, he never responded. And, you know, that's such as life, but, uh, that never really quite worked out. However, uh, I was recruited, uh, kind of through Allstate, the Allstate band by the percussion director at UAF in Fairbanks. Um, Dr. Deal, which I, we had kind of had several conversations over the, you know, the latter part of my senior year and nothing really formal. And, you know, I had actually not even really formally planned to go to college at that point. Um, like I had applied, they sent my SAT scores there. I got, a, you know, uh, I got accepted and all that, but I never put a foot in the ground and really did it. And, and in fact, the job that Rusty has now, you know, as the theater, you know, one of the theater, you know, production guys, I had an offer, you know, coming out of high school to do that down in Homer. They were hiring specifically out of Homer for, for a job at that time. And, um, I had a, you know, a job offer on the table to do that. And I was working with, uh, ECS at the time that summer. And then, you know, my girlfriend at the time, uh, who's now my wife of over 10 years, um, yeah. you know, convinced me to, to go to college, like just put a foot down, go make it happen. <clears throat> um, so I, you know, made the plan to kind of follow it up with Steve did that. Um, and then, you know, declared as both a double major percussion performance and music education. And I made it five days. <laughs> Um, before I, I realized, well, one, Dr. Deal had not actually had, had accepted a different job at Indi in Indiana. So he left. Um, so the new direct percussion director that was there was not one I was familiar with. He's a friend now, like that, you know, that notwithstanding. Yeah. Um, but it just totally different, right? It's, it's one thing when you're, you know, in the kind of a big fish in a small pond and you're, you, you can work on the pieces that you want to work on and, uh, it's a whole different thing when it becomes work, right? Yeah, then yeah. You're going through piano proficiency courses and you know, like music education. You have to learn how to play every damn instrument. Like, and when you start with trumpet, which coming in as a percussion player puts you at a very big disadvantage. Yep. Um, you're not playing a wind instrument, you know, proficiently, you know, through any of the latter parts of school. In fact, you know, credit to Mr. Peterson too, who you know, kind of tried to coach me a little bit earlier on to like get serious about learning things like clarinet and stuff like that, which I borrowed and I borrowed a clarinet from the school and, yep. you know, started learning some of that stuff and, you know, kind of rolling, but it didn't really prepare me for the intensity that no. that became. And then when you're, you know, learning, having to learn challenging music on an instrument you've never played and, you know, you're just, I'm not, I was not in a position to really do that. So I, I changed majors, you know, within the first two weeks of school, 
um, dropped all the classes I had and added all, well, almost all, and then added a, you know, a whole different slew of classes to change course a bit was a, a different foray. So, but it opened my mind. So that was a, you know, a big thing. Yeah. For yeah sure. Huge, huge. That's awesome. Um, okay. And then, so at the same time, um, as all that, were you doing any like ex like extracurricular band type music? Were you jamming stuff with other people, or was it really just kind of all devoted to collegiate music? At that point, no. Um, I did not get into jazz band, the, the university jazz band, the first that first semester. Um, I did not get into the orchestra um, that first semester. Um, However, I did get, did get into pep band, which at the college level, pep band is a paid gig. Yeah. Um, it's a, like a, like basically a scholarship stipend more or less. And, um, it's a fixed sort of rate per game. You go to all the games, you get a, you know, kind of works in towards your fees every semester and it gets kind of, kind of added in there. And did you enjoy you know, that? The end, I did. I love the hell out of that. That was a ton of fun. That's what really got me into hockey. Um, yeah, I was you know, sort of casually a fan before that, but right. uh, I mean, I became rabid even still to this day. And we, in fact, my wife and I drove you know twelve hours each way to Arizona to go watch UF play down there. Uh, you know, back in February, so we that's it, we're still very much attached to that at this time you know, to this day. Oh, but we oh, were we quick. were in that you know pet band swing in its heyday at UAF too, which that's, was a, that's that awesome. was a fucking trip. Yeah, yeah, that was good. A lot of good games in that period of time. There was, yeah. I mean, that they. I mean, even you like UAF hockey, like when they you know get Michigan and Michigan State and Ohio State and stuff coming to town, like that was sort of the thing. I was like, you know, I'm at a small school, but they're still playing, you know, D1 level hockey, and yep. you know, and they're winning some of these games too. And, yeah, man. Um, but I mean, the the pet band though, at at its at its height, there was a picture that I was in playing drums, and there were like 70 other musicians on the stage at the end of the rink. Uh, my wife being one of them. Um, some of my, you know, friends to this day were, were all through that, through that, uh, that world, which That's most huge. of those kids granted, right. You know, most of those people were, were music majors yeah, and were, you know, friends that I, you know, when it kind of came into school and, you know, met through and, you, you know, met even them though in I, other state yeah. stuff and, in, in, yeah. Yeah. Right. But I mean, like when I first came as a music major, you know, they were in, you know, it was a, a lot of familiar faces I mean, for sure, both freshmen and, you know, sophomores, underclassmen in general. But, um, yeah, and they all knew like not everyone in the, in the pet band though was a music major, a majority for sure, but certainly not all. And that was the, the cool part too, because it wasn't, it didn't have that studious, you know, mm. rigidity around it. Right. Um, you're playing fun music. You're there to be fun. And we had a lot of fun. No one had their ties pulled up tight and, yeah. No. Yeah, good. No, we had a we had a you know, we had a pet band, you know, shirt. That was our uniform. It was just the oh, I love that. You know, pet band shirt. I love that. I love that. Um okay, I want to I want to go back again. Uh cuz yeah. I I made a mental note uh to talk about this when you brought it up. Uh and then I dropped the note and I forgot and it was like stuck to the bottom of my shoe and then I just stared at my shoe and I'm like, "Oh, there's that mental note I dropped." back then um and so uh <laughs> you said the thing that that was important as well 2001 the ps2 came out because the other thing i know about you my friend is video games we're, we're gamers we're nerds still <laughs> uh what was so 
you got a PS2. What was the big first game crush that you had on PS2 once you got it? What was That's the zero, zero questions about it, man? G, yeah, Gran Turismo three. Grand or, uh, Turismo might have been two. G- I, I, GT, I think was it was a, GT two. Was it two? Yeah. The uh, the the so I bought the bundle that came with that game, which was a bright red box. Mm-hmm. Um, vividly remember this. In fact, fun, not really a fun story, uh, kind of a somewhat of a sad story. It was I bought that PS2 September eleventh, two thousand one. Whoa! And uh, sidebar after I'll, I'll get to it in a second, but. Um, my, so my grandpa at the time, uh, well, whom I was living with had a, uh, job in, in Anchorage building that South Anchorage Lowe's, uh, off of Old Seward. And, uh, we, you know, went up to the Diamond Mall and, <clears throat> uh, had the money I'd saved up from that, you know, job. I was talking about, you know, helping my neighbor yeah, build yeah, his house. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, coming out of the store, um, you have the just, TVs are, you know, all everywhere, all showing the news of the World Trade Center situation and, um, yeah, excuse me. where were you on September 11th? Never will forget that for a couple of reasons, but yeah, Gran Turismo was the, was the, uh, game I obsessed with for months. And if you've never played that game or genre, if you're out there, you know, listen to this, right. That's a game that you can devote thousands of hours to and never, you know, hit that hundred percent mark and never, especially for the, and never do the same thing twice. Yeah. For sure. So, so, for sure. So, I remember, yeah, it would have been, it would have been 2001, I think. No, it would have been 2002, 2001 or 2002. I can't quite remember, uh, what it would have been that winter. I don't, I just don't remember if it was a flop before or after the year change when we got our Xbox. Um, but before that, I was just uh, N64. I mean, that, that was like the most advanced gaming system we had up until that point, I think, until the Xbox, of course, was our N64. Maybe, I, no, we had we had a PC and we were playing like like Red Alert. We were playing uh, command, uh, um, uh, like Madden. We could play Madden on our computer. It would run it. We were, we were playing Command & Conquer, uh, StarCraft. Uh, you know, you know, things like that on the computer, but nothing like that. And then my buddy Cole from back, back in the day got a PS2 and he had Gran Turismo and I was a car guy. And as soon I would, we would never sleep. We would spend hours and hours just tuning shock dampening downforce all of that stuff and for one course to 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 beat it and then the next course oh got to retune the car for this course and like we we i understand dude we went ham for the tunability it wasn't about the graphics you understood the graphics weren't great the, but collision detection all that the mapping of the game was mm-hmm. amazing yeah and that's the thing, like like the games back then. I mean, they're shadows of what the, you know where games are at now for sure. But dude, the playability of that game was was insane. The uh, I mean, 
you had to roll through and get licenses, you yeah. know, qualify for certain tiers of races. I mean, license tests were really so hard. With, license man. tests oh, were so hard. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that game was, was de facto the number one game I was in, you know, for a long, long, long time. Good, good. Um, and then, uh, so, so are you, are you more of like a, uh, that like first person type game? Are you a role play type gamer now? What, what kind of, what's your, like your home now as far as gaming goes? I mean, I kind of have just this, like not even specific genres of games. It's just specific games at this point. Mm. Um, I mean, really time doesn't, doesn't, uh, really allowing it to dive into a whole lot of, you know, really like new games and, you know, playing in new games, but do a whole campaign, I, follow the whole story. Yeah, like, yeah. No, yeah. no. Um, I, one of the games I really like a lot right now is, is League of Legends. It's a, you know, one of those free to play games from Riot, um, which is, you know, real time strategy, but it's a, what they call it champion, you know, type, type of game. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm not really, really into it. Uh, I'm not like, you know, you know, gold or platinum, like somebody or diamond or whatever the tiers of the ranks are now for online. But, um, I, you know, I play casually. I might, you know, probably play once or twice a month at this point. Cool. Um, Starcraft, I'm still, you know, quite into, uh, I probably play that honestly more than I play League of okay, Legends. Okay. Who's but, your, who's your go-to species for Starcraft? Faction, Terran, always Terran versus Zerg. Protoss is fun, but, um, strategy, you know, strategy wise, it's, it's always interesting to, to, you know, play Terran versus Zerg. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I never played as the Zerg. I just never, I, I didn't like it. They just kind of seemed a little OP, but yet they didn't have like, uh, like good, good reinforcement rates for troops. They didn't have, you know, some of those things. Uh, that if you really got strategy wise, yeah, Taryn, man, there's good, cool. I'm glad. Yeah, you're, I'm glad you, you're you know, one Starcraft of Starcraft too. Now there's so many more you know, different units within you know, each of the factions. It right. becomes even a whole different world. But yeah, yeah, no, I was, I, I, I've honestly never played any other Starcrafts. I just played. I've only played the the original PC version and far too much of it. Do the remastered version, the version that came out, I think with the 20th anniversary or something like that, 20 or 25th, uh, is a, is a trip for sure. Looks great. Yeah. They're, and they're probably using like, um, uh, what, what, who, what graphics do they now do they use? Are they the, like the same ones as like the modern, uh, the modern red alerts, like Tiberian sun style graphics or, Maybe or, or, I mean I don't even I've never played Red Alert oh. and Sun. I did I did play the the original like the OG Red Alert, but I didn't really obsess with that one like I did with StarCraft or any of that. Yeah, yeah. It was it was the two factions versus the three uh Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. And it wasn't yeah. as cool, man. Everything was earth based. You didn't have the you didn't have the, the, the freedom of of imagination to carry in some of it. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, as far as like the other game goes that I've, I've kind of put some time into is Factorio. If you, it's a simple, cheap, you know, sort of somewhat challenging game. Like the premise is super interesting, but um, Factorio. Yeah, 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 it's a it's an interesting one where you you're basically dropped on a planet by yourself, and it's you, you, <laughs> there are certainly aliens around you, and the more like impact you have on the land and stuff, the more pissed off the aliens get. 
Mm. Um, and, but the whole intent is you basically have to like build and, and, you know, fabricate things and, and utilize resources to continue fabrication and advanced science to build a rocket to get off of their planet. So it's, it's fun. Like you're, uh, yeah, you get to a point where you're basically turning, you know, turning logs into, you know, coal more or less, and then, you know, mining ore and, and, and refining ore into, you know, metal and, you know, you're doing, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a, a grinding type game. Yeah. I, 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 oh, I for it, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I have a certain affinity for any game that, that has the option to just grind and you know, you'll be better off if you do it in the game. And I, I will, I always end up finding myself doing that versus furthering a story if there is one or anything like that. I'm just like, no, let me just ac- acquire all of this stuff first. It's fun. It's, it's interesting too, because they don't show you how to do really much of anything. Um, uh. I mean, you're basically building conveyor systems, you know, to try to figure things out and, you know, learn trial and error. And there's no, Real, I mean, at least when I started playing, there might be updates and stuff to it now that I'm well past. But yeah, when you were basically first starting, there's not a whole lot of things that it tells you how to do for sure. I love that. I love that. I have I have a game that that may be up your alley that I think I think you should try. Um, it's called The Outer Wilds, hmm. and it's a it's like a first person role playing game. Um, I'm not going to give too much away because, well, I can't really spoil it that easy. But here's here's the the premise of the game: is it's it's a it's a first person game, role playing game. You start, you're an alien on a planet in a solar system, and you are a pilot. And this, your species has been trying, this is like their first voyage off the planet in their rocket. And you're the pilot of it. And you have to explore the solar system. And it's a music-based game. So everything about the game is, is tonal-based, beat-based, music-based, um... And like all the planets have their own sound signatures, things like that. It's, <laughs> it's a wonderful game, but the coolest aspect of the entire game is it is a loop game. And so the entire amount of possible gameplay in one time is 22 minutes, 22 minutes from when you wake up to start your day, the sun supernovas. And wipes out the entire solar system. And you soon discover that there is an entire, there, there is just an entire th- amount of history and things to learn and puzzles to solve and a goal to accomplish in 22 minutes. But you can't do it all in 22 minutes. You have to find one thing and then the next cycle you find the next thing. And so what I found beautiful about it, other than the 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 gravity mechanics, the zero gravity mechanics, the orbital mechanics, thr- all of the space flight mechanics are impeccable. They are just navigating a shit the, the ship you have through 
the space, noticing how bodies attract and proximity, like all of it is wonderful. It is a masterpiece just in the space flight mechanics alone. Um, but you can play, you know, it's 22 minutes long. So you can play the game. You can do a couple rounds of it. But if you only have a little bit of time, you log. I have a half hour. You log on, play. You know, I remember I was checking this planet out because I was looking for this clue. Boom. You get off the planet. You fly there. You know you have 22 minutes. It's going to supernova no matter what you do. And then, boom, one round done, you're out of the game. And then if you want to do another cycle, you can do your next cycle and pick up where you left off. It is It is the 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 most brilliant game because it gives you the option every 22 minutes to say, do you want to restart? <laughs> and no matter what you do, that there's no, there's nothing else really. That you every, can kind of every, out, yeah. everything that you can know is there the moment you wake up. But the way they built the game is such a way that, you won't see clues the first time you go through it because there's an immediate storyline. It takes you places and then you start discovering things. Then you have to start backtracking and rediscovering and relearning. And then you'll find something new and it'll trigger something. And then you, oh my God, like it's brilliant. It is, it is. And I haven't played it as an expansion to it now. I haven't played it yet. Um, it's been a while since the last time I played it because you like I pl- I've probably played it through entirely story to story storyline four times, um, because once you learn the story, the thing you know the story right, and so the next time you play it, you know the story, but you can then like start discovering it in different orders. You can't immediately go right to the end from the beginning without doing other things. And so, you you know, and so you can like start discovering and figuring out different ways to figure the game out. Um, You know, finding it a piece earlier and what it does to the rest of the story. And it does. It changes the story depending on kind of your mode of discovery. Um, And then now they have an expansion. So I want to go do that. Everybody out there. If you're a gamer, you like puzzle games. If you like music, if you like outer space and aliens and role-playing games, The Outer Wilds is fantastic. And almost no one knows about it. I want to get a look, man. I have not uh, actually gotten a new game in probably three years. Uh, I mean, certainly one they haven't paid for, but... yeah. um, but yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I'll have to check it out. I'm, I might do that. I mean, I say like it, it's hard. You know, I have I have a two year old well, that, now. That's, so yeah, exactly. It's but twenty two minutes. Like that's a that's a fairly easy commitment. And I I can I mean I I'll, I'll sit down and play StarCraft and you know around a StarCraft for you know half hour or whatever. Right. It's that's kind of my my limit. Some of like the League of Legends games will go over an hour, and that so that yeah. becomes a little challenging. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it that that that's my I think that's the the winning aspect for it. For anybody who's like, man, I don't have a lot of time to commit to, you know, the new Assassin's Creed or whatever, you know, something yeah. like that or Dark Souls or anything. Um, no, yeah, it's uh it's 22 minutes at a time. That's all it asks you of you. Um, yeah, that's that's cool. I do I do also now that I I moved in and everything. We're going to have to get back on some Halo too, dude. Uh we uh 
Yeah. I, I know, I know you, we, you got, we got on that one time and, and played some rounds and, uh, I have my whole shit, shit up right there. So here you go. Yeah. That's, I mean, aside from those two I mentioned earlier, like Halo is the only real first person shooter game I've, I've, I've played. And that's just because I've been, you know, so in, in, ingrained in the storyline since, you know, the original Halo came out. And that's, uh, um, I, I've been, in that world, that universe since then. And, um, I've played every game through now. I, I, yep. I still play the master chief collection is probably my favorite one just because it has all of the multiplayer maps from, you know, all the first four and a half, five games. Um, and then, you know, we were playing infinite, uh, it's been a couple months now with Jason, right? But yeah, it's been a little bit now. Yeah. It's been, it was before or I, mean, I was still at the old place, but I, I, I think it was even, you know, around Christmas, New Year's time, probably when we got together, January, oh, yeah, that's right, January, yeah. something like that. Um, yeah, I haven't played, I haven't played Infinite in, oh, good, like, oh, no, the last, the, the last time I played Infinite was, was uh, like a week before we moved, when Jason came up here and we did the 200th episode. Uh, we were gaming one night, we were playing Rocket League. That's like my other big game i i play multiplayer uh is rocket league just because driving cars and soccer at the same time and you can fly uh it's it's pretty fucking cool so it just peaks all those little tech boxes but yeah we were playing rocket league having a good time we're like hey man you want to play some halo and we're like yeah sure we we flopped over it had been a while before since i did we hopped on and for whatever reason either we were considerably more terrible than the last time we played or Every 14 and 15 year old that was on that night were amazing, but we just got throttled. I mean, like two and 15 games, three and 17 games, like couldn't do, you know, I literally felt like picking up my controller and like checking it to see if someone had tampered with it. Um, And immediately like, I guess we're not playing Halo. So we turned it off, went back to Rocket League and still kept and you know, kept winning. So, um, yeah, no last, the last go around on Halo was not a good one for me. It was like those first person shooter games. Now it's one of the reasons I like, I gave up call of duty, you know, <sighs> 10 plus years ago. Now at this point, cause like when you start getting online, like people will just obsess with stuff like that Yeah, dude. now. And it becomes not fun to play casually online. Well, I mean, league of legends is kind of that way now too, for me, but I'll tell you there, there, there's a there's something cool about the that bronze silver gold platinum diamond ranking system if you can play casual and anybody can play and you'll get throttled but if you just go and go through and win some and play your 10 games or however many it is to get ranked it's actually does pretty decent with putting you at your t- the 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 ais in these games are pretty good at telling how bad at the game you are and yeah, for sure, for sure. And matching, and the the other side of that of that coin too, right? Is like now you're seeing, especially like with the rise of Twitch and you know the that sort of scene and community. You know, people are are creating brand new accounts, even though they probably have you know five thousand games or something in, right? They're they're creating brand new accounts, you know, to steamroll people like us. Yes, um, just for the sake of views. There was one who you know, eloquently put his Twitch tag into, into a Halo game that I played. And I think he, like out of 50, 50 kills, I think he got, he was like 30 kills and five deaths maybe. Yeah. 
um, and just destroyed us. Um, and I, I pulled his stream up and I was watching him. Uh, and sure enough, like he, he, it wasn't a new account. It felt like that though. Uh, because I, I, it, on Master Chief Collection, I'm around like eight, eight million XP, which is not insignificant. No. Um, but he was around like 500 million. <laughs> uh, and like maxed, like, I don't know how many games he has in, but it, ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous. Do, do people still play online multiplayer like Halo 2 and stuff like that? That's the thing. You can't. Um, so they just, I want to say like last fall or summer, turned off the multiplayer servers for the OG Halo 3. Uh, however, the Master Chief Collection, um, which is only, it's been out now for probably five or six years, yeah, give yeah. or take, the, they have all of those games within it. Um, so yeah, but you can that, play you can local. Play games. You can play local and play like original. Because I have every. I mean, look, I bought this. I was there. It's the metal tin Halo Two original version, dude. I bought this collector's edition the yep. day it released. You know, so and I, I I still yeah. have it. And and you know, I I could I could go back and play any one of them, but. It's weird to me to think that they just like because you, but you can't go on uh, Master Chief Collection, go to Halo Two, and then play multiplayer on that game. Not, I mean, not, but oh, local, local no, on Xbox Live. Oh, and other people will be there playing it too. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. So, so you still can just with like multi or Halo Two settings go and play on Xbox Live multiplayer. Good, yeah, for sure. Good, and good. The good. cool part too is you can also like you can play any game type you want and filter out like maps that you want to play. So if you don't want like that, that's that's what's really cool. So if you want to play like Team Slayer, but you only want to like you hate the ODST maps, which every sane human should. <laughs> yeah. Um the like you want to play Halo 2 or Halo 3 specifically or, or Halo 1 maps. Halo, or Halo 1 original maps, yeah. maps are fucking great, man. There are some awesome maps in Halo 1. Blood Gulch. Sure. That fucking map is great. Yeah, dude. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, you can filter out and you know, only specify those maps. I mean, matchmaking takes a long, you know, a lot longer for stuff like that sure. to, to, to well, roll through. Yeah, but the, yeah. There's probably population list of only like two or three thousand, not eighty thousand or a hundred thousand. But no, dude, Master Chief Collection, like during peak times, has somewhere like 150 to 200 thousand players live. Well, well, right. But out of that 200 thousand players. How many yeah. are in Halo Two <laughs> doing that versus whatever other one? You know. Yeah. Well, no, that's cool too. Like because the it, it's not like nobody else really has to do that. Mm. Um, you know, they don't have to be in that that, that sure. narrow of a, of a filter. Um, but they're looking for if if you are, you might be the common denominator, right? Where 100%. it's going to pick pick a map that you have in your filter list. Others maybe you know, may have a common list or something like that as well too. But um, I don't usually play with map filters on, but there's been times where I wanted to say, Hey, I really want to play, you know, the hang them high from, you know, from halo one, which there's a remastered version too, I think in halo four, um, that's also in master chief collection. So it's fun to play those maps too. So I'll filter those out occasionally. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. I have, I just have this, this soft spot for, for gaming and, and and it's funny too like i have more nostalgia for almost like displaying 
<laughs> gaming systems at this point. The fact that I own them, then actually the amount of time that I'll play them. Like I want, I just want to be able to walk through my, like my, my thing is like, if I have a moment, I want to be able to look and go, okay, what, what do I want to do? Do I want to play my Xbox? Do I want to go back and play some 360? Do I want to play the Wii? I don't know. Do I want to play my Super Nintendo? Do I want to still play my N6? Like, what What do I want to do? You know, I'm a th- almost a 40-year-old man, and I'm just like, kid in a candy store. Like, what games do I want to play? I have an hour and a half to myself. It's it's ridiculous. That's been, like, the best realization, though, as an adult. I mean, even just, you know, getting, you know, my first full-time job was, like, you know, buying the, I don't know what, what Xbox it was, but probably the, the might have been the 360. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, like just being able to just like, you know, on a whim, you know, when it comes up, go buy it. Like it's not like a big thing saving your money for the whole freaking summer or whatever. Yep. You know, now with other liabilities and obligations, it's a different, a little bit of a different story, but yeah. Um, but now if you want a new gaming system, they're a thousand dollars. You know, shit. Yeah. You know, that's insane. I, I bought the Xbox Series X, which is the most recent one, uh, 21, but that's the only console I have now. Yeah. I have so the same Halo 2, the same collector's edition, you know, one you, you you flashed a few minutes ago. I have that same one downstairs. I don't have a system that can play it, but I have the, I have that. I have the uh, strategy guide thing that can't, you know, we could get with it at the, at the time. Yep. yep. Uh, I've got, you know, all of that stuff specific to the game, but I can't actually pop that disc into anything. I, anything and actually play it today. That's crazy. Yeah, I still have I still have the original copy of Halo for an original Xbox. As do and, I. And I my original one in Alaska somewhere. I don't remember exactly where it's in. It's either in a friend's crawl space or at my <laughs> mom's house. Still is my original Xbox from back in the day. Um, I still have that fucker somewhere, and I want. I it. did up until we moved out of Alaska. I sold my original Xbox, my PS3, PS4. Um, I had the oh shit, whatever the other Xbox was, the Xbox X, non Series X, yeah, whatever yeah, that shit yeah. was. Xbox One, sorry, there you go. But yeah, Xbox Series X is the only console I have, and my computer plays some games fairly well. Yeah, yeah, and like like you alluded to though, you know, it, 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 there's a, a a stark difference between. Uh, pre-kid and post-kid availability to uh, to just on a whim want to play an hour or two of video games. Yeah, I mean, you know, the ebbs and flows of work too. I mean, that's the other oh, pieces. Yeah. I've, I've been traveling a shit ton now, and um, I mean, it always has ebbed and flowed. But and you're a, you get you're, back, and there's a there's a whole slew of things you got to catch up on. And what play uh, and all that shit? So if you want to just dive into that real quick now, what what is your uh, what is your field of work that has you jet setting uh, all the time? Consulting now, officially, um, you know, I- so, IT stuff though, right? Yeah, yeah, so tech, yeah. So rewinding the clock a little bit because also going back to the collegiate days. So after switching out of music, I went into, went into tech at the at the university, um, and then in the summer of '08. I got my first full-time job with the university in, in IT, um, working at the help desk, like many start their careers in. Yeah. Um, and 
it's kind of taken off from there. So I've worked, you know, in the field since, you know, formally since 08. Um, and yeah, I have you know, kind of taken that to where I am now, which has been a, a hell of a trip. So it's, it's, I mean, no longer operating, you know, a, a network of my own. Now I'm helping others improve there. So it's fun. And you, you like that too. You like, uh, is, is it, is it like the, 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 the problem solving of it, the, yeah. like for you? Yeah. So after I got out of the, like, that's the thing too. So in tech, like it's kind of like, you're, you're almost like a doctor in some, to some extent, Hell yeah. you know, like you're, you, you know, you wear a pager, which I did wear a pager up until like 2011 before they finally gave us cell phones. Um, but you, you get called out after hours, right? So now, you know, internet has issues like college kids give a shit. So you got to go fix it. Um, and you, <laughs> um, I mean, I remember my first like actual on call week to, um, you know, of all that rolling. It was like, I think I got like seven calls that first night. Like a building was on fire. They <laughs> shut power down and, um, you know, alerts and stuff rose yeah. out. So they like tracked that one down. And yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, you know, having that whole on call shift concept, like our whole team rotated, right? So we were, you know, every a team of eight. So you're on call every eighth week. Um, so it wasn't, wasn't too terrible, but yeah, I mean, having to wake up at two o'clock in the morning to go fix something before work starts the next day is, you know, it, it does get old. And then, but I mean, the other side of the grass was, was a little, wasn't a, you know, very different. So it was just more predictable because after I left, you know, what we call like the operations role, like where you're actually running shit, you know, to, for the company you work for and, you know, enabling that business, you know, to going into what we call like delivery or, you know, professional services where you're the hired gun. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Coming in to, to help do big and bad shit, <laughs> um, you know, you know, put stuff in that's new or do the dirty work nobody else wants to do. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's to now you're rather than, you know, being on call, you know, and, and being awake at two o'clock in the morning, once in a blue moon, now you're in data centers and network closets and shit every week, more or less. In fact, that my first like full year doing that when I was like like really rocking and rolling, and that was like was 2018, I think, or 2019. Um, and my wife had tracked the amount of time I was away from home uh, on a on a like a one sheet calendar thing, and just like scratched out weeks that I was gone. And she did differentiate between in state and out of state because in Alaska you have the dividend thing oh, you have yeah. to account for. Sure, but dude, it, it's like applying for the dividend that year was a massive pain in the ass because when you're gone for more than a hundred, I was gone for uh, 48 of 50 or sorry, 46 of 52 weeks away from home. Full weeks. Yeah. I mean, home on the weekends, that's the, okay, that, that's okay. Kind of, or yeah, whatever yeah. the weekend concept is. Sure. Sure. You would have a couple you're doing, days off here and there. Yeah. Like, so if you're doing a, doing a, uh, you know, what we call a cutover, right. So actually taking the internet down for, for a business, if you will, um, you know, you're doing those on weekends. So, you know, my concept of a weekend likely is like Tuesday, Wednesday. That's the pretty common thing. So you do the work over the weekend, you come in and help make sure fight fires if you need to on Monday morning, assuming all goes well, which eh, almost every time it, it went well, uh, fortunately, but then you're flying home Monday afternoon, you're home, you know, in, in my case, late, you know, the middle of the night, you know, to like one fifteen, two thirty in the morning, depending on the flight I was on. Yeah. Um, and then you're home Tuesday, Wednesday, leaving Wednesday night to go back out and do it Thursday somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And like 
I had a project in LA, uh, an infamous project I have in LA that went on for like 16 weeks. I was doing that straight, that same, that same plan, 16 weeks straight. So, but yeah, I, I, mean, bet, that, I bet that now, felt like Groundhog's Day a little bit toward the end of that, huh? It did. It's just, it was a lot, there was a lot of, a lot of fun shit over the years, but yeah, I mean, now I'm not, I'm not in either of those roles anymore now. So yeah. I'm, I'm the one helping, you know, sort of solve problems and I get to be on kind of like the, the cutting edge of shit. And, really? You know, I was in a conference to, you know, kind of see where, you know, roadmaps for certain, one of our certain partners and stuff are going and helping navigate, you know, journeys and stuff for our customers. So ton of fun. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And, uh, what's it, um, what's it like for you now? Uh, how do you, how is the role of being a father for you? Uh, it's relatively new few years you've been, you've been at it. And, uh, how is that? How you like it? It's the perspective is, is night and day difference, right? I mean, you go from, you know, only having to, you know, sort of care for, you know, myself, my wife, who were both very independent people. Right. Um, to now commonly caring for, you know, another one that can't care for themselves yet. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, you throw on, you know, the challenges of, you know, being a premature kid, um, yeah. having to fight through, you know, those days and then sacrificing what we did to, you know, make the journey to Colorado for her. Right. And then the, I mean, it's a world I didn't know existed. I mean, one out of every four kids is born, you know, to, some degree of prematurity today right right so how so, how premature was she if you don't mind talking about that because because you guys have had you guys have had a, a, a pretty crazy actual role just making sure she's here right now you know mm-hmm, it's it's mm-hmm. been <laughs> non-stop for you guys for for years yeah yeah right. so since, she just I mean, turned two yeah um she turned two at the end of march uh her birthday um you know so four months to answer your yeah. question, right? Um, so she missed the entire third trimester. Oh, so going through you know all of the latter parts of you know lung and brain and heart development on the outside um, is a journey I didn't know uh, how to navigate. Wow, it's still one that I you know I look back on just like where we've gone, where we've been. As a matter of fact, so we just had Easter, right? So Easter was the first holiday that my daughter had after she was born ah. and the hospital gave us a prima, you know, a preemie sized outfit, which there's different degrees of premature kids. So there's of course. preemie and there's micro preemie, which is what our kid was. Um, you know, she wasn't even two pounds when she was born, man. Oh my gosh. Okay. Can we just take a moment then to like absolutely talk about the, the, <laughs> the marvel of our medical system and, uh, that that that's even possible to do today right that's the thing dude so the like even you know the neonatology which is the study of you know premature kids the practice of caring for them right is a i mean relatively speaking newly established medical practice yeah like 20 or 30 Uh, years 40 years old yeah i mean in micro preemie kids used to be you know a state fair exhibit Yes. Yeah. No I mean, shit. Yeah. Like back in the 50s, 60s, 70s time frame, like, you know, they were, you know, those incubators and stuff that you've, you know, seen on pop culture, which, oh, yeah. you know, a very real thing. Um, 
in fact, I'll, I'll show you this too. Um, but they, they are, they're, they're, they're a world of difference now. Like the things that they know now compared to even 10 years ago is night and day difference. Right. Um, so back to the conversation of, you know, the, the premium oh, outfit, right? So whoa. those that are not, that can't see my screen, um, I'm showing Aaron right now is side by side. So April would have been you know, the second week of April. So she's probably two weeks old here in this picture here on the left, uh, which dude, preemie kids look like a freaking alien. Like there's no, there's yeah, no there's, getting around that. But thing. she is swimming in that thing. I know, dude, I know. And the, that, so this was, you know, provided by the hospital, right? Yes. And then um, look at the size of a same... plastic egg next to her. That exactly, is man. crazy Britain. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And she's holding that same outfit to her chest right here, you know, just a a week or so ago. Oh my gosh. That is, that is so wild actually to, to just put in perspective. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, did she had a cast on her foot too? And no, so that's a, that's a pulse oximeter. Oh, it's a pulse. Oh, and it just, the pink. Okay. The pink is probably just so it, it's not actually like abrasing her skin. No, yeah, it's just to keep it kind of in place. Of and, course. I mean, that's the thing too. It's like her skin is very opaque, yes. is very uh, translucent. So yeah, yeah, I noticed. It's you can't really tell in this picture just because the way the lighting really kind of is. But when you're looking at her from the side and not straight on, you can like, see you through can, her. Yeah. You can see the bones, man. Like that's, it's kind of it's a little bit freaky. <laughs> I mean, when I when I first so when I first saw her the day that she was born, I mean, no shit, I. One, didn't think she was going to make it mostly, but that was the thought that was in my head. Um, but the just seeing, I mean, just flash red, like skin that shouldn't be exposed to the world at that point, right? <sighs> Even just thinking about it now, it's just like I still get like the butterflies in my stomach, but I just, yeah, so. I, I literally just got butterflies in my stomach because, because I've never heard <laughs> all of, all of my life, Britain, I have, I I have thought about premature kids and I've I've seen it in documentary I, I, all of the stuff but I had never thought of you know skin that should not yet be exposed to oxygen is now yeah. exposed to oxygen yeah oh my I mean, gosh the skin that we have you know today right this even adults but kids right that you have like eight or nine layers of, yeah. of skin when she was born she had two yeah that's and oh my god. Probably not even fully at that point. No, no. Of course not. And I'm saying too, it's like when she was first born, like I you you could see her organ. Like I'm I don't want to freak people out, but like no, you could yeah, see you see her organs internally to some extent. Like it, creepy, man. I mean, not like you could like you could just kind of see like like her heartbeat, for example. You could visibly yeah. see her heartbeat in her chest. Like you couldn't you could see the outline of like where her heart was, but Dude, it it's still to this day is like I don't even really know. Yeah, that's that's how I mean. Yeah, I I would I would have to say though, and maybe this is me, but if that, what a cool story to hear told later, though. Yeah, right. For sure. You know, they're 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 eight, ten, twelve years old or whatever, and be like. Going, you know, learning about the human bones in in school, and then you're like, you know, funny story. 
when you were born. I mean, that's show and tell shit. You bring that story oh, to yeah. school and be like, this is me when I, I mean, that's awesome. What a, what a survivor story, man. And it's kind of fun today, right? When we kind of tell her story in passing, I mean, not to any level of this depth, but, you know, saying, hey, you know, we spent, you know, so much time in the NICU and she was a premature kid. It's like, oh, my uncle or my cousin was a preemie or, uh, you know, my my kids were, you know, premature or whatever. Like just, it's it's way more common than than you think yeah. uh, that world exists. And it's not one, It's not a world you know exists until you're in it. Right, right. And, and unless I, you're connected to it in some way, you know, with your immediate family or your own kid, it's and it's got to yeah. be it's got to be a pretty astounding uh, form of solidarity because I'm sure in those moments where it's just you, your wife, and your baby, and she's in an incubator, you know, and you guys are just like, what the fuck is even going to happen at this moment? You you mm-hmm. it's probably you probably feel pretty alone at that point. It, it I would imagine it's it's, I mean sure you have people around you giving you support, but it it's got to feel remarkably alone. And then to hear the stories and the and and the commonalities and solidarities with other people doing through the same thing, probably feels pretty reassuring. Reassuring, I would assume. Well, I mean couple all of this happening happening during a pandemic and not having any family in alaska anymore like those two things were the hardest of all of it um but the cool part was is we we had gotten connected to a couple families in the NICU when we were there um and you know the just through being being there like nobody else can come in so if you don't have a kid there you're not you're not walking in that room so yeah yeah uh, or even that area of the hospital so just having that, having some of that connection, just kind of shared support of just helping each other through what you're going through right now. Um, and then just, you know, using technology to call, you know, family and give them updates and stuff like that every day was, do you guys, was a, do you guys often now, uh, you and Mercedes, uh, just sit, sitting there looking at her do it, doing as awesome as she's doing now and go, how the hell did we make it? Like, do you add, yeah. do you guys ask yourselves that? So that, that, that side-by-side I just showed you is kind of the, the most recent, yeah. uh, the most recent thing of that, because that all of her other Nikki stuff is, is put away. Like it's keepsakes that we'll hang on to, I'm sure. But you know, that, that tie dye, you know, preemie onesie was, has been kind of out just kind of because of that. Yeah. Um, and you know, we have a, uh, calendar that my wife made, you know, of uh, all through 2022, you know, taking a picture every month more or less in the calendar that we, you know, have and just looking at where she was a year ago today. Um, and, you know, watching her growth from that perspective has been, has been crazy. And that's like, the calendar is kind of the current, you know, rendition. In fact, I'll pull this down. I'll show you. Um, you can just kind of see. I love it. You can just kind of see. I'm turning the background thing off, but <laughs> oh, but the Simpsons house is, yeah, is right. perfect. So you can just kind of see, like this is this is you know April, oh. roughly Easter Sunday, 2022. Cool. And you saw the yeah. 2021 version, right? Yep. yep. So, so the eggs are there, and I like I like that. I like that you put. Uh, some plastic eggs around too. Cause that's a pretty yeah. good jump of just the size difference. 
Yeah. But he, like, so we, we took, you know, kind of took things like that, right? There's like, the, yeah. that's Easter Sunday. The next month for May, you can see just the strides that she made in one month. Oh, yeah. Huge. And it's never always been like growth and size and weight with her just because, you know, that's the thing that we fight with a preemie kid is you're going through all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause she's, I mean, they, they trap kids against growth charts as any other parent is going to know. And my daughter doesn't, isn't on that growth chart <laughs> uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But when you think about it, right? Like, you know, a kid that's two years old should be around like 26, 26 to 30 pounds, give or take. Right? Sure. And Sydney's 21, 22 ish. But you factor in that's 20 pounds heavier than she was when she was born. So when you think about that, right? Yeah. You know, a kid that's 30 pounds, but they're born, you know, somewhere around eight ish, which is normal. Uh, they've gained 16, give or take. Exactly. All yeah, to 16. Yeah. So she's gained percentile wise more weight in the amount of time than a normal born kid in the same period would yes. on average. Um, yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's great. And, and probably, and, and and truly another probably remarkable one is just overall height or length of uh, you know um cuz how tall is a two an average 2 year old like couple feet and tall she's about on that chart she's um i mean somewhere around like 36 like around 3 feet right oh 3 feet okay so like 34 to 38 and sydney's 32 Sure, so sure. she's on the chart. But, yeah, 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 on the chart. She, she, but but she probably wasn't, you know, 18 or 20 inches long when she was born. So you got to think you have a kid that's 18 inches long when they're born, and then mm-hmm. they're 36 inches long in two years. They only gain 12 inches. Well, four, shit, 18, 18 inches. Yeah. You know, and, and she probably gained... She's about 20, 20, yeah, give or yeah. take. So about, about oh, the same. Oh, still same. Okay. So she was, where she's okay, at, she, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. She was about 11 inches long when she was born. Oh, oh shit. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What a, what a marvel. Yeah. I mean, it's wild. Like the, so one of the things that we were you know, kind of told originally too, is there's a condition called retinopathy of prematurity because, you know, without lungs being fully developed, you have to supplement oxygen. Yes. Oxygen stimulates blood cell, blood vessel growth, which uh, in the eyes specifically, um, you know, ca- which the eyes are the, like one of the last things to form in the womb, right? Yep. Yep. And they don't even fully form until they're, you know, a normal delivery baby is born. Well, yeah. I mean, babies are basically blind until two months old or something like that, right? Well, maybe not two months. That's probably too long. I don't know baby stuff because I don't have babies but but i know that they don't see when they're born correct yeah i mean the you it's usually a couple of days from what i'm told oh, and like days. And our, our kid was a couple of was, was like a month ah um and i mean she opened her eyes and she kind of responded to light but she did not I, like we were told no, like yeah. she doesn't have any sort of object reference at that point and we have a book somewhere around too that kind of told us around you know what to kind of expect of what they're going to see more or less. But, mm. but yeah, so the retinopathy prematurity thing was, was one, you know, that we were kind of, you know, waiting to occur just because of how early she was and how much oxygen we knew that she needed and, and was getting and, and all that. And, 
and uh, that's that's what it is like eventually it gets to a point where that oxygen stimulates growth where it shouldn't quite be yet and like uh. when blood vessels form in the eye they come from the optical nerve in the back of the eye out to the retina up front um, and they form they should form nice thick blood vessels over a you know a slower period of time when you're exposed to oxygen they kind of just start going wherever the hell they want and they're probably um, not of to, the substance that they that the sing a single slower form vessel would be right. Many small right, vessels yeah, exactly. have to do the work of one. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, the issue is, is like the those those vessels aren't thick enough to maintain you know that flow. So sure. they uh, you know at least like retinal retinal detachment, color blindness. You know, certainly uh, you know short or far sighted vision. Yeah. Um, but more often than not, it causes them to be like your eye, like the kid's eyes to be so uneven. Uh, we were fortunate, like super fortunate that the, the doctor we had in Anchorage was basically like the pioneer of these, of this research. Holy um, shit. Yeah. And, and, and basically came up with, um, the, the, this laser eye surgery method, uh, to correct it, which essentially goes in and they, they, which, we were in the room for this. Um, I was not braced for any of that to occur, but anyway, they, they take a, you know, it's similar to like what you would see for like LASIK eye surgery yeah. to some extent, but they take a laser and they cauterize the, the, the vessels that are, that are forming incorrectly and burn a, a path in the, in the eyeball for Down the veins to the grow where they want it to be. Whoa. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Whoa. It's a trip. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a huge trip. Man. I'm rubbing my eyes right now because that just – that gave my eyes butterflies, dude. That's burn a path in the eye for the vein to grow through that. Yeah, because the path of least resistance, of course, it would follow that. Um, yeah, exactly. That's basically what what they did. And, um, and, and how old was she when that happened? Uh, 30 or 40 days, something oh, like oh, that. Oh, early, early. Still early. Yeah. Still early. Oh, cause, and, cause they wanted to take a preemptive measure to give the pathway yeah. early enough so that these veins didn't offshoot and grow more than they would. Right. Because once they kind of make it all the way, all the way forward, cor yeah, corrective, corrective measures are, are not, notwithstanding. <sighs> and I like, my side of the like my dad's side of the family specifically, um, nobody really has glasses. I have had perfect vision. I've never had any corrective vision. Me too, since. man. Everybody else in my in my family is a bunch of four eyes, but not me. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and that, that's that's the thing. Like, I, I've I wasn't sure really what to expect. Like that was kind of the conversation too, even before Sydney's Sydney was born. It's like because my wife, same thing. Like everyone in her side of the family has terrible vision. Um, and w would she get, you know, my eagle eyes or would she get me, you know, mom's Coke bottles, right? That's the, that was kind of the conversation. Yeah, what yeah, was, yeah, like, yeah. was going to happen. Um, but the cool, like the cool part was, man, like, um, and I have to go actually go look up that doctor's name offhand because I don't really remember it right now. Um, but yeah, man, the, uh, that whole, I really have to give him a shout out to, of course, uh, surgeon. Dr. Arnold, Dr. Robert Arnold, Bob Arnold, he, um, uh, he has the, like the best Daffy Duck impression you've ever heard too. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I have to, th- you know, for one huge shout out for him, but now like even like her checkups now, like none of the, none of her eye doctors think she'll need glasses. Oh, that's amazing. And her eyes are close to close to perfect. And for her to go through that and then to say that now yeah. is insane. Man. So, but yeah, I mean, from, from that to occur, that's the thing. It's like they, it's a free hand procedure. <laughs> Dr. Arnold did this. At, Dr. Arnold did this in a room and free you can hand. imagine freehand. Yeah. You can imagine. You know, See, I was imagining like on a table, a fucking tape mounted laser. It's like going in. It's all. But she has to be conscious. Oh, she has to. And so you have to be able to account for her eye movement and all of that stuff. Yeah, because of course. Oh, Jesus, you're right. They, they, they. And how do you tell? How do you tell a forty day old to keep their eyes still? You don't. They hold them open, and they have a like an air filled brace that her head goes in, and. She was overpowering that brace. So she, they had a, a ner- another nurse in the room holding that brace straight. And she is crying like, oh my, with every ounce of her being, <sighs> screaming. Oh, and dude, I was not prepared. My wife was just like, she's dialed in, right? I was, oh, she's, like, she's the rock and you're just shitting pants. Ah, dude, <laughs> dude, totally, man. I had lost my shit in that room. Um, I was like, like full on like Papa Bear mode. Like I, if I, yeah, let me out of, let me out of coach. I could, I could have killed somebody that day. But yeah, the uh, just that that vibe. I mean, I, I was not prepared for that. They they tried to prepare us. Like they they gave us, you know, full on like pre surgery. If if anyone's ever gone through that, like the doctor sits down. Like this is exactly what we're gonna do. This is how we're gonna do it. This is what you're gonna expect. She's not gonna like it. Uh, and I knew everything going in, like everything that they had said is exactly what had happened and it didn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can't, I'm sitting there, you know, six feet or so from the edge of edge of that, uh, that bed. Like there's a whole team of people in and around this, this room. Yeah. You have the cognition, you have the cognition beforehand, but what they don't tell you is you're going to have a giant rush of adrenaline. And serotonin and your parenthood will kick in and you don't know what that feels like yet. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, man. Yeah, of course. That sentence did not occur. Uh, no. But yeah, dude, that was a that was a that was a trip. Oof. That was a trip. Man. That was probably the but between like that was the only major one that we were really a part of, honestly. Yeah. Um and it is it was only really major for me because she was conscious for the whole thing. She had a couple different things here and there. Like if you've ever got an IV put in when she was first born, they, they install what's called a pick line, which is a pretty common thing like with cancer patients or someone who's had like, you know, a heart transplant or something like that. Um, but they basically put an IV line in all the way in place it right adjacent to your heart. Right. In your chest. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, but they come port, through port, like your right? arm or whatever. Okay. Yeah. 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 And they did that for her when she was first born, mostly because of her skin condition. Sure. Because they, they, it was to a point where they could not have, could not risk multiple pokes of an IV, IV coming out, like the pick line was movement, all that stuff. Yeah. 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 So her 
first day she was alive. Like we're signing consent forms to have a pick, you know, this pick line installed. They're like, we're going to have to come in, you know, through the underside of her left forearm and go up through such and such. And it's going to go right to her heart. Um, I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> Just <laughs> if it's going to make her healthy or help her get there. Um, and that's the thing. It's, it's, yeah, I'm, you're as a parent, like, to be thrown into the world of a health health advocacy role like that in a world that you don't know exists or know what to expect. That's, that's the trip that like, you know, any, especially first time parents, but going into this whole prematurity world that that's, mm. I don't know how you prepare for that. You can't. Yeah. I, yeah. I would say I, I, I don't, it is trial by fire. I mean, it seems like that's, because because no one's planning for it right ahead of time mm -hmm. yeah of course um wow you know and i felt like we had we had life kind of figured out right like we we knew we like up until the day it happened march 15th the day after my birthday um we had just finished spring break we had purchased a new travel trailer like we had the whole intent was we were you know once she was going to be born in june we were going to take two months off and go drive that travel trailer around to go to our families and take our kid around and, you know, camp and enjoy life. And, uh, that didn't happen, but, um, we had read like parenting books of like what to expect and if you're for new fathers and all that shit that yeah. never mattered at that point forward. So, man, but, but I think, you you have a, a pretty uh, astounding uh, vantage point to sit at today uh, as parents having gone through that and now getting to the point where you're getting far more of kind of the I guess the statistically normal parenting stuff now right I mean I mean does she have any uh, other kind of lasting medical things that you're still dealing with and today that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a worry we, that's a worry right now nothing's a worry no. okay good I mean, good it's, good we're i mean we're certainly from like a survivability standpoint we've been you know well past the you know the the point of concern for some time now um now it's just a matter of just you know mentoring her growth if you want to call yeah, it that yeah, yeah um trying to encourage you know good eating behaviors and, and stuff like that. We've had a, we've had issues transitioning to solids. So um, the, the main lasting effect that we're, that we're going to battle until, you know, well into likely her teenage years actually is her lung, is her lung development. Oh. Um, and so she, I mean, preemie kids in general, like when they're, when they're born um, and her condition, like she was right on the precipice of, of, you know, having to be intubated at birth. So having to be like, you know, breathing mechanically, she never was good. So when she, she was born, you know, just shy of 27 weeks, um, she was never had to be intubated. So she was straight on like CPAP essentially. So, yeah. you know, forced, forced breathing, but she's still breathing on her own. Um, you know, using her diaphragm and all that. And she's breathing, breathing against the, the air flow of the yes. CPAP. Um, which helped strengthen her diaphragm muscles and keep her lungs open and all that. And, uh, but as part of that, her, you know, none of her alveoli or any of the, you know, the organisms in her lungs fully matured. Mm. And so she had never really gotten to a point where lung growth was able to sustain her high enough to 
to breathe in a room. The picture I showed you compared to compared to the oxygen needs of the rest of her body growing. Correct. Yeah. 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 If you think about it, like when you go for a run, which uh, I probably should do, um, (laughs) you and me both, brother. You and me. Yeah. Right. When you go for a run, you're exhausted. You know, you're exhausted. You're you know breathing hard to you know to keep up with your body's needs of you know for oxygenation. Um, you know, you're breathing deeply, you're breathing frequently, and she's having to basically do the same just to sustain herself. Yeah, just uh, and was just cell health, just the, the met- metabolism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and even now, like, so she's she can walk, she's up, but she's a hyperactive two year old as yeah. any other, you know, by any, any other measure. But she, her, you know, her work output, you know, her caloric output, um, she has to breathe harder to, to maintain that. So she's kind of in that sort of, I'm not going to say constant state, but, um, but she is in a, you know, a state of, you know, kind of continual exhaustion. So her eat, you know, her eating habits, uh, are a little all over the place. And I think part of the, part of the reason we have issues with solid foods is because her body's, you know, working harder and, you know, mm-hmm. overdrive, if you will, yeah, you know, to, to oxygenate and stay, you know, stay alive. It kind of puts the, you know, the other systems sort of on the back. Sure. And bit. the stress of the stomach breaking down the solid food to then metabolize the protein out of it versus just getting protein in a liquid form that it can metabolize instantly uh, is preferable just to the digestive system. I, you know, it's, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And we're, I mean, my wife's, you know, the, the breast milk situation has long since dwindled up. So we're on a medical grade formula. That's, a little more color that's more calorically dense. Oh, good. So higher calories, lower volume, um, still trying to work through growth. Yeah. yeah that's kind yeah. of the, the primary goal. Um, but she still has a G tube. So she has a, a button in her, in her belly. We can, we can tube feed her. So we do that, you know, overnight. Um, so we give her a whole other eight ounce, you know, formula feed slow, you know, slowly over the course of the seven hour night. Um, if we didn't do that, she would wake up hungry and we have to feed her like, you know, two o'clock in the morning or whatever. Um, I mean, she needs that other meal and she's not, she doesn't have the capacity more or less to ingest that all the time. That same thing goes like we've fought this with the bottle feed too, because that, you know, because of her lung condition too, and she's breathing, she can't breathe when she's consuming a bottle and it takes her a longer period of time and she gets fuller sooner and doesn't consume the volume she needs. So it's, it's a battle more or less. And, and, um, she also has like a hyperactive gag reflex, gag reflex. So we feed her solids, which we, we, she actually did a pretty good job tonight, but, um, catches something the wrong way. And we also have, we also have like thickened liquids, right? So because of the, the risk of aspiration, um, you know, getting fluid in the lungs. So we, we have a you know, liquid thickener, but you know, something go, doesn't go down the right way or whatever. And she's, you know, sits up, stay, you know, sits up and sits down while she has something in her mouth, like her just sensory gets overloaded more or less. And she kind of gags and then doesn't quite know how to calm herself after she coughs enough to mm. just stay, say we're good. Like in her body just kind of, naturally reacts and just vomits so the foods that she does eat she loses more than half the time damn so we're still way more reliant on a bottle than either my wife or i would like to see for sure of course of course and i'm I'm sure that as her her speech pathology increases and 
some of that that kind of cognition develops naturally uh the, the the ability to talk through it more would is probably going to help i would assume yeah I th- i'm not sure how far we are away from you know fully you know fluent speech i mean probably another at least a year I would say. right right yeah i mean she's talking but it's it's still largely babble and send some you know basic interactive sentences like yeah Hi, how sy- are you how are you doing syntax Good. isn't yeah. fully developed yet so yeah vocabulary i mean she's she's learning a ton of new words every day amazing uh we're in that is that, that fun to watch is, is that fun to watch the 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 actual development of of language happening it's a trip, man. It's like the I, you know, and then back to the professional side for a second. That's kind of the some of the downside of it. I've been gone for the last you know a week at a time, the last like five weeks straight. Oh, I bet you. But see every big every jump. time I come back, yeah, every time I'm back in town, like I, I get back to town, it's it's a whole new flurry of stuff. I'm just like, whoa, she's doing that now, like and like she has some 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 uh, what's the the word? Just like you know, emotion in some of the voice words that she's using now. Like uh, when you kind of have the, hi, how are you? How are you doing? Good. You know, she gets the, like that, yeah. you know, the enunciation, that just emotion behind it. So that's, that's, that's super cool. man. Personality yeah. is really starting to come through and yeah. yeah. It, it, in that, that's awesome. That's so fun. That's so fun. Yeah. It, 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 just just thinking about the overtime those little brains are working man that picking up on everything pay attention to everything because it's the first times you're seeing it you know we we take it for so granted as adults the what our brains are doing and you get to kind of see it manifest that that wonder manifested man that's cool that's cool yeah, there's, I mean, there'll, there'll be a time when the, you know, the whole, you know, run of firsts comes to a conclusion. But, uh, I mean, even just now, man, it's like there's, we're still seeing, you know, first of, first of this, the first of that. Like she's jumping now. So like that's, that's like the, the current in thing. So we got a couple of, a couple of mats on the floor and she's, you know, she's jumping and, you know, landing on her ass and falling yeah. over and all that. So. Yeah, the giggles of 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 kids learning that they can jump and fall, and then in that moment not be hurt, and it's just funny to them that like, ah, oh, I don't know, man. It's, I think it's hilarious. Yeah, and that that's the thing. Like she's, her demeanor is always in that, you know, curious but happy, and you know, she's probably more clingy than I think either my wife or I would, <laughs> would like, but it's still super adorable. It, it yeah. does get a little bit irritating well, after course. a while, but you well, know. well, yeah, I mean, I think that's just human, human, that's just the recognition of humanity, man. And, and, yeah, rec- yeah. you know, like, yeah, you're, you're also an autonomous being that <laughs> and you're you can't help the moments where you're like i just want to be left alone right now it's you know i think we all have that and it's uh that's that's a struggle in itself i'm sure well i i, I you know i my wife is 
Mercedes is home all the time with her. So even when I'm on the road, it's worse for her because she can't get away. Like she mm. can't just pawn her off to me when I'm not home. And so I, I get, I get that. It, it's a, you know, even more of a challenge for, for that, oh. that time. And, uh, but yeah, like that's, she's, and she is the, the, the rock of everything yeah, for moms, sure. Moms so. are, moms are, man. Moms are the winners. They, they get the gold medal award for life. Yeah, for sure. You know, got to give it to him. Hey, let, I, let me go. Uh, I got to use the bathroom real quick. Let me go take a quick pause and then uh, refill my drink and I'll be right back. Deal. Cool. Well, I want to, um, let's take a little pivot and go because there's a couple other cool, interesting things I want to talk about. First of all, um, take me back and talk about Sonic Karma. How, <laughs> because that for me is like, the quintessential picture of how I see like you in your, ha- you in like the happy spot. The, when I, when I think of you guys jamming, I, I, I think of watching you three on stage and the, just the cohesion and all of that around is like, I don't know. Do you kind of think of it the same way for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, I, the other, the, so, Back to the originating point of, of Sonic Karma, that the, the origins of Sonic Karma do not involve me. Oh, I, was not, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, I was not the, I was not in that, uh, in that crew. So that started off as a thing between, uh, Rusty and Jake and Scott when Rusty was at the, at the music box. Oh. And the threads of that I kind did of not know that. capped, because yeah, I was in Fairbanks at the time, right? So like, gotcha. it wasn't, uh, it was not an easy thing for you know us to get together in, in general, but oh, that was uh, Scott doing that. God, now that you say that, yeah. I guess I remember that. I put that out of my head. I don't know. That's okay. Well, thank you for the clarification on history. No, no, you're yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're good. And it was a, it was a challenge. I mean, just logistically speaking of trying to you know figure out how to you know not just perform together but just collaborate right and um you know the question kind of got pivoted to me at some point i don't, don't remember exactly when but you know of asking if i'd be interested in playing i said well yeah but like i'm 500 miles away yeah um so we got to kind of figure this out a little bit it's like i have no issues traveling back and forth but you know it's got to we got to figure out a way to plan for stuff more or less and we did um we played in shows uh, you know down in Kenai mostly then you know they came up we spent a, a week or so in Fairbanks and did the whole battle of the bands thing which went super well yeah um, yeah <clears throat> i wish that we'd actually won of course but none of the, that's that's never here or there um but yeah like that's you know the the original music aspect of coming up and building you know something as complex as that was mm-hmm. um i mean they already had a you know jake and rusty and scott had put together you know a few a couple of songs already that you know were kind of the early parts of, of sonic karma then you know when i came into the picture we we wrote uh five or six more songs to you know round out what we thought would be an album more or less and then which honestly triggers kind of a memory too, because I, I went, you know, I went down to Kenai when Rusty was playing with uh, Lee Gattenby with the uh, that Troubadour North yeah, band, that yeah. you know, kind of mostly cover band. They had some originals too, but you know, you know, playing the bar gig scene and uh, you know, Lee had a you know formal recording studio you know, at his house. Um, we 
spent, I want to say five or six days, maybe not quite that long, but you know, multiple days, um, you know, effectively recording those songs. I'm not sure whatever happened to those, honestly. Wow. Um, now that, now that I think about it, but, um, but yeah, like it, from a, just a premise of just like, you know, my take into that whole thing was a ton of fun, just building out you know, those parts and being a, you know, a factor in that group. I mean, it's different, you know, it was like the whole liquid tension experiment kind of vibe, right? No yeah, yeah. lyrics, all just, you know, ever changing, you know, music dynamically based on kind of what we're feeling. Yeah. And, like them and like scale the summit almost mix. Yeah, kind of, exactly. Kind of mix yeah. Between those guys. Yeah. Yeah. A ton of, I mean, that's where a ton of the influence came from too. I mean, uh, just wildly variations of, of, of a lot of that really. And, but yeah, I mean, coming up with some of those motifs and theories and, and, uh, and, you know, putting the, putting the puzzle together was a ton of fun, but I mean, there's no overcoming the, you know, the 500 mile gap that we had. No, man. It was a, it was a, it was a trip for sure. So it's, you know, it's just over seven hours or so, um, you know, each way trying yep. to get, you know, yep. from between Fairbanks and Kenai on the two lane highway, not to mention having Alaska involved. Um, <laughs> no for a long time, I just, I had a whole drum kit that I just left at Jake's house. Um, and then I would just, you know, plan to fly back and forth, which that wasn't cheap. Like I, you know, it's a, you no. know, 400, $500 round trip flight from, I mean, I could go to Seattle for cheap, but I went to Kenai. Yep. Um, and that, the, and we, I would just, you know, on a whim, just go spend a weekend down there just playing, whether it was just practicing or whatever, we would just, you know, put a weekend on the calendar and just say, this is Sonic Karma weekend, boys, let's do this. One of my favorite memories is we had that. Remember that house party mm-hmm. that that we were going to play and they had this garage and we're like, all right, we're going to we set up. And so it was going to be you guys and us uh, fighting silence at the time. And we uh, <laughs> we went we went to this house party, set everything up, sound checked. All right. Well, here, everybody. Fucking Sonic Karma to the stage. Yeah. Woo. And so you guys fucking start jamming. We hadn't even got on stage, and one of our guitar players' amps was next to a window in the garage, and it was open, and it was cold as fuck outside. And so the hotness of the tubes and the cold air coming in caused one of those fucking tubes to pop. Yeah. And we lost guitar. And night over. Night fucking over, dude. And I... I will never forget this. Like, oh, Jake, you played too hard, man. Fuck, <laughs> you just you just burned that amp down, right there. Yeah, the tenacious D line, man. Shouldn't have fucked me so hard. Like, Shouldn't have fucked me so hard. <laughs> yeah. That was such a fun you know, time. We had another one even, at Icons, didn't we? Do one at Icons together too back in the day. We we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. was a Toys for Tots thing. Ah, yeah, it was around the around Christmas time. Yep. Um, yeah, the Toys for Tots thing. I. I don't remember if it was that year or not, uh, but there was one year where I lived at Jake's house for like three weeks or a month or something like that. Um, we had played and wrote songs and, and my drum kit set up in his basement. Um, <laughs> we just, I think we just told the story actually on the Metal Falls podcast if we, we, yeah. that or we were just BSing about it before that. But 
Yeah, that it was funny as we were playing basically all day, and you know, Kayla, Jake's wife, is walking around the house with you know, ear protection on, like you know, Jake's like you know, Jake's firearm ear protection, and uh, just doing laundry, whatever, just happy go lucky, roll by the house, just get to her own like fucking personal concert, more or less. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was it was some good times for in that back in those days for sure. That would have been what two thousand nine. 2009, 2009, 2009 no, it, it, I get, yeah, you guys were probably doing shit from 2009 till, because t- we, we, we would have played the Icons gig in like 2011 or 2012, would have been mm-hmm. one of those winters. It goes back to my, my point I made earlier, right? It's like yeah. several years ago we played that show. Wait, yeah, in, in another – in uh, uh, over a decade ago. You could say two decades yeah. ago. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whatever you want to say. And that's the other the, – the, the, I, I went back and I, I – I, someone had recorded that and uploaded it to YouTube a while back. Uh, I mean, not long after that event happened. And and since then, that, that account or those videos have gone offline. So – those are, I don't know if those recordings are just gone in the ether forever or what. But. Yeah, I know that someone had a camera and filmed all of that icon show. Yeah. There were like six different YouTube videos uploaded of all of our shit. It wasn't, it, so it wasn't just Fighting Sons and Sonic Karma. There's a couple other bands too. Awaking Cerberus and God, someone else. Was it a rapper? Wouldn't surprise me. It might have been. I, I don't remember. I think there were four bands on that. That was like one of the coolest like live original shows I think that we ever put on in on the peninsula, man. I can't remember other ones that had more bands. It really dug that place too. I mean, to have like an like a live and all ages. Uh, all ages, live music, late night, hangout. You know, pool, yeah, all that pool, stuff. all that stuff, and and have it be you know completely all just not not a bar. Um, that I I thought it was a you know going to be a pinnacle in Kenai for a long time at that point. So R.I.P. Yeah. Icons, but but yeah, the that uh, that show was a ton of fun because that was the first time I think I played a show with Sonic Karma with that that big drum kit that I had. Yeah. That was the one that I got to just leave at Jake's basically. Yep. Um, knowing that I, the intention at the time was to, you know, you know, kind of dig in more, a little more seriously and, you know, make a, make a big, you know, more intentive run, you know, at, uh, at doing something meaningful. But, um, you know, of course life happens. Yes. Yes, it does. My friend. Yes, it fucking does. Um, okay. And then, and then now, you you have a, a project you're doing now, which is highly, uh, it's a big undertaking. Let's just put it that way. Do you want? Can you talk about that? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, dude, for sure. It's a, it's a, it's going to be a fun one. It kind of it kind of happened by accident. So, um, you know, we, we moved to Colorado in 21. Um, didn't actually get this house until 22. I hadn't played for, you know, seriously for probably the better part of two, two, maybe three years. Um, yeah, it would have been about two years, but, uh, when, once we got settled in down here, dream theater came through and played a show, um, you know, here in, in, in Colorado and, yep. um, and then shout Shushu out to dream theater. Shout out. Yeah, for sure. For They'll sure. Hear that. But, 
my all-time favorite influence. In fact, going back to your comment around, you know, my drumming back in the, you know, back in the day, it was probably around like eighth grade freshman year that I really dug in on Dream Theater after Mike had won Modern Drummer of the Year, which I think was like his fourth one in a row or whatever. But uh, my drum teacher, Derek, had that magazine, and that's where I kind of saw Mike's massive drum kit found out who this guy was and started digging in at that point it, in that in that era was it the big purple monster it was yeah, yeah so that was, was a purple monster right after it was right after scenes from a memory had released so yep. this is 99 um and uh and this would have been like 2000 so yeah um, before train of thought before train of thought before six degrees oh, before six degrees even right right yeah, six yeah. degrees then train of thought yeah of course um but anyway so uh but yeah, so I had made a note on Facebook, uh, was kind of walking, you know, walking through the comments of people commenting on the the Dream Theater show, you know, for Colorado, um, and then this guy I saw had you know was looking for you know musicians, drum, you know, drummer, bass, whatever, whoever would respond, um, you know, wanting to play Dream Theater stuff, and if he was in in Colorado, I'm like, sign me up, dude, like. Uh, I'd be all about this. So I, I reached out to him. Turns out he lives like five miles from my house, oh, which shit. if you know, if you know anything about like a Denver Metro area, like it's fucking massive. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a 45 minute drive, give or take for me to get to the airport normally, which the airport's, you know, on the far Northeast side yep, of town, yep, but yep. I'm 40 minutes to downtown. I'm about an hour, 40 out, you know, two hours to Fort Collins. Um, I mean, Denver is not a small place no. I mean, population wise. It's not, it's not, you know, in the top 10 or whatever, but it's a huge city just geographically speaking. <laughs> um, so I was like kind of worried, like this dude's going to be, you know, either Broomfield or Boulder or who knows where it's like, you know, an hour plus away from me. No, he's maybe 10 minutes door to door from my place. So it couldn't have worked out any better. And dude, this, he's a ridiculously good guitar player. So that's awesome. Um, over the years, he's a he's you know uh, acquired uh, several you know JT signatures, but JP signatures. But uh, nonetheless, he's got also has uh, I'm not sure exactly where or how, um, and I, I think they're out there too. But it has the stems from the scenes from memory album. So we, after playing for a while, and it's both of our it's our it's our respective favorite albums of all time. Like yeah, not just yeah. Dream Theater, but otherwise. It's it's a it's an album we're gonna have to do on Metal Fellows too for, for at you know some what point you know, well well but. here's I was gonna bring this up to the uh, I was gonna bring this up to the group but I'm gonna bring it up here first to you because as the speaking presidents of the group um you know we uh we have the utmost authority to talk on such matters without the rest of the group here I think when we when we go to approach scenes from a memory. It should be a unanimous decision between the four of us that this week is the week we're doing it. I don't think it should just be, oh, one of us picks it. I think that should, there, there may be a couple albums that fall into this category for me where they become the group consensus. Guys, are we tackling this album now? And we should be expecting it. To, <laughs> I mean, do we have to make it a two-part episode? Uh, the amount of talking we're going to do on scenes, I I can't, I mean, it, it's going to be a long episode. Like, it's mm -hmm. going to be one of those where 
every one of us is going to have thoughts on storyline, musical composition, textural ideas, how this song relates to this song, thematic rises through. I mean, I have spent so much time digesting that album. All four of us have spent so much time digesting that specific album watching extras, watching live footage. I mean, fuck, man. It's going to be you know, it's going it may be a two-part episode. It might be a 5-hour marathon episode otherwise, oh, which well, I that's what I mean. I would be happy to but but you know, rank saying, "Hey guys, it's this is going to be like a 5-hour fucking episode." Uh, you know, there's there's going to be there may be a couple of those. I don't know. That one for sure. Might be there might be there might be but yeah so back to yeah the the story though so we we get together we, we meet at a restaurant to start with kind of talk through talk through things we get together we play for the first time um it goes fairly well as you kind of i mean i hadn't played these songs in a while i tried to brush through and kind of catch up on some of this stuff but um but the the intent that we had made the made the point though is that our goal is to record the entirety of scenes from memory and use the original tracks for bass, keyboards, vocals, but our tracks for drums and guitar. That's amazing. Um, and then mix it all together. So that is the, the set end goal we've got. We are probably as polished as we're going to get really for, you know, overture and Deja and strange deja vu. We've got a ways to go, <clears throat> I think, with both Fatal Tragedy and Beyond This Life. But those yeah. first, you know, five songs, including Through Her Eyes, um, are were were close. Cool. We we started playing home a little bit, um, and then I, he he hasn't really kind of jumped down the dance eternity train, you know, since we started playing. But I mean, that's, that's... the last the last five songs in the album are going to be. Probably the ones that are a little more longer, longer in the tooth, but well, they, yeah, they got yeah. I mean, fuck with between home and then dance of eternity and then um one last time, yeah, yeah, but 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 yeah, what one yeah, but one last time. I I don't see being a giant no. uh a step to overcome, but um finally free will be the will finally be the... free is going to be. I mean. That's yeah. That's that's an incredibly difficult song, and it's long. Yeah. So cool. Well, I can't wait to hear some of that stuff. I, I you sent uh, in our chat a couple little clips of you guys doing stuff, and it's just man, I can't wait. Yeah, we have we haven't played probably in about a month. Um, we were we you know gone through ebbs and flows as we've you know as, as you can imagine, but but yeah, the sit down and like we can play through the you know all the way through the end of Beyond This Life now at this point. Um, but yeah, it's just about you know cleaning things up and, and <laughs> yeah being intent intentful with it, right? Um, and and when you guys can I ask a tech a techie question when you guys are recording, yeah. are are you are your hopes is to one take the take is that your hope or are you guys going to like okay here's the verse and t and do your verse take and just patch patch them in segments or are you are you like wanting to do your take in one take 
in an ideal world, we would want to take realistically. I, I just didn't know how you were track how how you guys were planning on tracking and doing it. So, yeah, our, our I mean, I would love to to track it together once and go. And that's what we're basically what we're doing right now. Like I'm I'm using my electronic kit, mm-hmm. you know, through a, a Focusrite Scarlet um, into Logic Pro. He's doing the same thing out of out of his guitar into his you know into his rig. And then also into logic, and then we're playing with levels more or less into our own respective monitors, and then playing along with the you know the backing tracks. But I've got his guitar cranked in my right ear. Um, I have the rest of the mix in my left ear, um, and then like I hear you know myself in the back end of you know, both ears. And right. I have the original drums for Mike Portnoy in my in my left ear. Oh, uh, good. Oh, so good. It, cool. Yeah. So it's 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 a it's a we're we're in the weeds a bit and and uh it, it's gone you know really kind of well i what i i really want to do and we kind of both have said this too is just taking some time like away from just practicing and then just kind of solidifying our rig so we have a set now where he's got a, an actual like a focus rate let's go to his place i bought a second one for my setup now at the house um, I want to get all of my drums, you know, patched individually into this with different, different threads, but I, I want, cause it's his, it's his logic setup that we're using. Mm, so yeah. the reason for the same scroll to both sides is that it, you can plug and play with regardless and not have to worry about, you know, right. virtually repatching things. Um, so when he practices at home and I practice here, we can use the same logic file more or less and not, and kind of have that portability and not have to reset it yeah. every time. Yeah, so that's beautiful. But if we, can set some time and just kind of dedicate towards solidifying the rig and making it a little easier. Um, I, I think we'll have a better shot at being able to do some, some cut and paste type of stuff like, you know, individual tracks and, and, yeah. and things. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll just have to see how the cards fall. But yeah, right now we're, we're playing, you know, scene one through scene five straight through. So, man, that's a, that's a, a, a incredible, that's an undertaking to say the least. I love it. I love it. That's a, uh, I haven't, I haven't done that kind of deep dive into other people's music in quite some time. You know, there was a time where I was like, really like getting, l- learning the music of other musicians. I, I listened to, to just, I mean, if you can play parts that you love to hear and you learn how they did it, you now have that toolbox in your hands to reincorporate, right? And refold those, those ideas into your own music. And, um, yeah, it's been a while since I, I've been thinking about it. I've been trying to like, <sighs> nail, yeah, just decide for myself. What, what is the, what is that undertaking I want to put myself on? I, you know, it's, scenes man that's that's a lofty goal yeah i mean there's no other album i've listened to nearly as much as scenes from memory right and and that's where you know a lot of my focus time had come from you know aside from just onesie twosie learning well the fancy i mean i mean shit you played dance of eternity for your junior all-state solo yeah. So, so if that doesn't say anything else, then I think that's a, yeah, great point. Fucking awesome. Yeah. 
but yeah, that's the that is the goal. So placing some memory, like I said, with our original tracks mixed with the, the original bands. Um, I mean, maybe playing a show at some point. I don't know what that's going to look like exactly, but be fun to to do that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then with this with this digital age, is there any talks about uh, doing doing any Sonic Karma coming back and just digital composition between you guys sending tracks around jamming? I mean it's ripe for that time now i mean now that my my setup here is is you know more solidified i mean i i was in limbo between you know original move to anchorage yeah of course of course but um you know that notwithstanding we uh you know jake went you know kind of did his own thing for a while with the whole jake stutzman band concept and um and you know i he asked me if i you know could build his track i do drum tracks and stuff for that and i was like i wasn't in a position to be able to do that really i was like you know maybe at some point but um but yeah he's kind of taking his own you know kind of swing with that and um i don't know where he's at with that now but now that i'm established and and you know capable of kind of rolling with that i would i would love to um it's we i don't think we've sat down and had that conversation though honestly um i had a, i had a, a funny idea because we're all in our own respective time zones we're uh we're all musicians we all love what if we wrote a metal fella's song dude fuck and, yeah, and the four of us just got our brains together digitally over over the the webs figured out what we were gonna do who's gonna play what where and and uh wrote a fucking original metal fella song i mean the intro is original right oh, so the, the intro that. is original but. that's a great but 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 that's that's an intro you know that that's just a it's that thing is meant to be 18 seconds long let's <laughs> yeah. let's 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 pick for like you know six or seven minutes and try for something yeah for sure i'd be yeah i'd be i'd be all about that that'd be a fun one to sit down and and work through the composition but that's I mean, it's a, it's a challenge to, to collaborate on stuff like that. I mean, you have oh, yeah. the, just the latency of video chat and stuff like that, but sure. if you can agree on some concepts and start working through a single thread, that's, that's how we did this on the crime originally. So we, we used uh garage band and Dropbox yeah. um, you know, extensively. In fact, my, that's still one of the larger uh, folders I have in my Dropbox account <laughs> still to this day. Garage band um, files. Yeah, when we had, I don't know, there's probably 12 different songs and tracks, and I, but I have like every, every different stem take I've had of various songs that we've recorded over the years. Um, so I probably have 40 variations of the same song. Uh, Man, it, it would be, it would be an exercise all in itself just to take, compile all that and start throwing those stems into logic now and remixing some of that shit. Oh, yeah, for sure. Bring it back and, to like, life. Now that I've, now that we have, I have, I have more skills in logic than I did, you know, 15 years ago. No, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, I, I think we could certainly do it if, especially if we, you know, can get some, uh, you know, ideas and concepts put down over a video chat. Well, yeah. And, and, someone and, and if you go, you know, out a, well, yeah, sure. And especially, and it doesn't all have to be done with all four of us at the same time. You know, if there's just some melodic stuff comp- composing, two people could be composing something together. Hey, here's this cool thing, throw an idea and it just move and morph, man. And I don't know. I, I've been, I've been, I've been trying to, to, to be that be, because I'm the one 
with no kids and I'm the old man in the group. <laughs> I'm uh I find myself kind of in this like like uh a weird position where I'm like I I have all of the time to help nudge and push music onto others and be like, I know you want to, and I, I bet you could find a little bit of time and you'll feel great if you do. And, and, and I think that's kind of become my calling is just to help uplift all of my musical friends around me's passions and pursuits. And I think there's nothing better to kickstart art than uh, collaborating with others, you know? For sure. I mean, I'm honestly surprised that we, I mean, thinking about this now that we haven't come up with a game plan to do something together, even, you know, prior to Mellow Fellows, honestly, it, it, uh, because yeah. like, you know, you've had fighting silence and now, you know, of course, earth to ashes, but you know, we've, you know, Rusty and Jake and I have kind of had that thing kind of rolling off and on for the last 20 plus years. Right. Um, and yeah, you even going back into high school, like we kind of had our own things rolling, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm all about it, man. Good, good. Well, I'm glad I got some a bug in your ear as the uh, the the other president of Metal Fellows Incorporated, um, and uh, so we're we're co we're co-presidents, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, there's two presidents. Yeah, this, this isn't go. a dictatorship. And then, yeah, and Rusty and Jake are vice presidents. Perfect. That's right. That's right. They are. They are co-vice presidents. And 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 so it is. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so. My studio downstairs, I mean, I've, I've got you know, grandiose plans to build that out, but I have that, that, uh, that Scarlet set up. I have a dedicated Mac, uh, to that studio for recording, um, in kind of collaboration to, um, it's not exactly set up cohesively just yet. That's still coming. I'm oh, it takes, it takes so much counter, time. Like desk kind of thing, but maybe oh, yeah. in there and put a wall a monitor on the wall and you know, be able to pivot that around. So there's lots of stuff still to do, but that's a, I yeah, love it. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. The, 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 the kind of meditative thing about setting up your studio for your function is, is an, it is just like a science and art all in itself. There's and and it, and it can't be done like that. It takes time. There's always adjustments. Um, yeah, the next big thing I'm 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 gonna do here is um, I'm going to try. Well, I'm gonna be working to locate a good snake because I have our uh, practice room downstairs in the basement, and so my and we literally practice right below me, and so I'm my my thought was all right if I got a good uh, like a eight. 10 12 channel snake somewhere in that range ran it downstairs this is a control room live recording downstairs there's uh what i would say is you could get a good uh computer controlled mixer um and run just like a long usb cable or something like oh, that to the to mixer. mixer downstairs Mm. That you can also control from the computer that you're sitting at, right? I could do um, that. I could do that. But I already have a 16-channel mixer up here that I use that's not computer-controlled. But a snake would essentially do the same thing. I still need the same amount of mics. I still need the same amount of cords in general. 
Yeah, the difference is going to be how you get all those get all those transported upstairs, right? Because there's only so much space you can open up in a wall. <laughs> As a guy that run, that used to run cabling for a living, it's a uh, you know those XLR cables. You know those are not exactly thin. Oh, I know. So the more the the the, the fewer cables you can run, the better. Well, the- what I if there's a way to do it, I, I don't know if you're what you're the exactly how things were situated where the where might be a common wall or whatever but oh yeah if you could if you could put in like just if it's straight up and down you know just put a conduit or a whole you know a, basically a covered faceplate more or less that has the brushing on it that you put in for like your media center yeah then you could freely pass cables back and forth oh, as you need them versus making it more of a permanent thing. that that was my idea completely perfect yeah there you go yeah yeah no it's it's we uh the the uh, yeah, I'm pretty lucky in the way the house is built, where the outer foundation wall is outside of the exterior wall, and so I can from the bottom, from the basement, I can look up and see where the my my wall is, and so I could just go in and down and come out out of the floor. Yeah, there you go. In the in the basement, and uh, yeah, they make really nice looking plates and all that stuff for for that. So yeah, that's my idea. Then I can actually start uh, live tracking music here and next step up in production, man. Hell yeah, hell yeah. That's the hope. That's the hope. Um, anything else, man? What's um, what else you got? Anything? Anything? Uh, neat. Anything neat besides my besides my bourbon I just finished. Ooh, no. <laughs> I, what 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 kind of bourbon? Uh, wood, just Woodford Triple Oak, man. That's oh. my that's my go to. I love that. Um, but anyway, you said neat. I I had to, yeah, I had to yeah, say it. Yeah, I'm I'm ha- I'm I'm uh I am not enjoying mine. Neat, mine is. But neat's the way to go if it's bourbon. For sure. Very true. Very true. Um, I mean, aside from just the, you know, the, some of the Colorado stuff, I mean, we, you know, I, I don't know if we really got into some of the detail around, you know, kind of after the hospital sort of oh, thing. Please talk. If, if yeah, if, if you want to keep going, yeah, please tell me. Yeah. It, just the threads of conversations go, go tons of different ways. There's just so much going on, but, um, so recapping, right? We were we were in the NICU after my yes. daughter was born for a solid four months, um, and then my, that's where my daughter lived essentially. And uh, knowing the the lung situation was what it was, we knew we were going to need some long term support. And Alaska is good for a lot of things, like Doctor Arnold and that that whole you know the the retinal thing I was talking about earlier. I mean that was a freaking miracle that he's there right we have just kind of such great specialty but there was you know there's only one pediatric pulmonologist for the entire state at the time um dr roberts who i mean great dude great guy i mean everyone has nothing but good good things to say about him i i certainly did but we knew that we were going to need kind of some longer term support yeah um and i kind of realized that we were going to have to go, go somewhere to get that. And of course the original thought, like everyone else in Alaska is you just fly back and forth to Seattle. Well, we were 
going, we were going to do it, you know, like a, a digital consult with them just over video, but, um, we were given the kind of the crushing blow that my daughter couldn't fly. Oh, yeah. So her, pressure. Her, lungs weren't, her lungs weren't strong enough to, to, to actually go at altitude. So. Well, yeah, because inside of the plane, for those who don't know, is equalized to about eight to 10,000 feet, somewhere in that range inside the plane. And um, yep. that's a, that is a stark difference from damn near sea level. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, they say about 9,000 feet is, is kind of like the that yeah. sweet spot. But yeah, it's 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 not an easy thing for a kid that, you know, needs oxygen to breathe at sea level. Shoot, so, it's not a, it's not an easy thing for adults that need oxygen to breathe at sea level. <laughs> it's also very true, very true. Um so when we when we kind of had that realization we're like, well, we're going to have to drive somewhere. And you know, the the virtue of of we had been talking about moving out of Alaska anyway. Like yeah. We, I mean, semi-serious, but never like really, I mean, we was, we took a trip to Boise one year and spent a week there with the intent of you know, looking at kind of areas and maybe that was going to be the place that we were going to, we were going to head to, but. Was a Alaska Mercedes home state as well? Yeah. So Mercedes was born and raised there. Oh yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but shortly after she graduated, after we, you know, we both effectively graduated and left Kenai, um, her parents and the rest of her family uh, all moved out, of, moved out of Alaska. They moved down to, uh, it was New Mexico, I think, at the time that was, was first, if memory serves correctly. Um, and then, you know, her parents went through a divorce and then they, they split up and her dad went to texas her mom went to utah but anyway none of that was standing that that's all that all happened well before well before sydney well before you right. know, we even got married really um so we uh kind of had that kind of plan in the back of our head that we you know, we were going to move out at some point and then you know when my folks when my grandparents moved out in 2018 that was going to be that was the uh the crux of it like we're, yeah. we're moving so um we didn't have a stake in the ground to actually move. And then, you know, I did the job in Anchorage. It was kind of the saying, well, well, cause that, that job I took in 2019 was kind of a, not really a career path change. It's when I made the, made the switch from, you know, actually hands on keyboard doing shit to the consulting, to consulting world. Right. Right. Um, and I, I didn't think that I, we were, I was going to be, you know, really kind of, there for a long, longer period of time as I, you know, as I was, cause I, we were kind of already on the outskirts, but took the job, moved to Anchorage. Anchorage is much easier to get to other places and go see people and for a lot less money usually. So yeah. it was kind of the, the kind of happy intermediate spot. And then right. of course COVID hit and then you know, our daughter came in 21. So, um, but anyway, through that, through all of that, um, you know, we ended up, uh, having the kind of the fortune of a lifetime, if you will, we did a, um, met a, uh, another guy on Reddit who his wife was a travel nurse and they had a uh, condo in downtown Denver and they were making the switch for, uh, they were, she had taken a contract in, in Anchorage and were coming to Alaska and, um, similar, almost the exact, I'm not going to say the exact same situation. We're like, Hey, we want to, you know, we're probably planning to move to Alaska long-term. I have no idea where we want to be, um, you know, around the Anchorage area, but, you know, we get curious about like, you know, 
areas of town or where, where they should live, whatever. So I say, Hey, well, we kind of need to go somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, uh, one of the hospitals we were fortunate enough to get into to handle the pulmonology situation was a national Jewish, uh, which they're world renowned for, you know, pulmonology and, and, and uh, respiratory health. And, uh, their condo happened to be about two miles from that hospital. So, um, I struck up a conversation just through private message and was like, Hey, uh, any chance that you'd be interested in doing like a house swap? Maybe this is all Mercedes. Like, thought process she's only kind of pushed me into this and and uh yeah they accepted so after a few facetime conversations they're like yeah yeah let's do this so we sat down put some stuff on paper um you know had a couple other conversations she uh had a long-term uh like extended stay or whatever hotel that the hospital was putting her up in until she got her living situation figured out um and so when she came, she came to town, we met in person and she came to the house. We had dinner. We, you know, kind of got to know each other a little bit, made sure none of us were crazy, kind of all that jazz. And, and then, uh, you have to watch out so for we, that. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's sort of the thing too. It's like our agreement was that we would just pay our respective mortgages and bills and all that. And, and, you know, anything else. It's a gamble. Each other. So it is. Yeah. You know, you're really, and that's the thing. You're- like, hoping for the best in humanity of the people in that point. Right. Yeah. And that's where we, we were, I mean, I'm not gonna say we were at their mercy, but uh, I mean, we knew that we were going to have to go somewhere and the, 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 the thought of having to maintain the mortgage of the house plus pay rent for something else, especially on just my income was going to be a disaster. So kind of just bracing for all that to kind of happen. And, and it, it did. So I was just like, kind of thankful for that to really take it, you know, take flight. And the, uh, I mean, fantastic human humans too. These guys are, are, in fact, I should actually tell, we haven't texted in a long time. I should reach out to them, but, um, they ended up actually buying our house in the end. Oh, wow. But it talked about like, just sort of like just sheer dumb luck out of the whole thing. And it's, uh, a lot happened in a short, short period of time to really kind of, make that work because it was this it was like the 26th of september if memory serves correctly as we were out camping the last vestige that we had of that travel trailer before i i sold it unfortunately um or i should say before it sat in my driveway until we sold it the following year you know almost two years later but uh um <laughs> uh, i mean giving up our you know two thousand square foot four bedroom house that we you know, had just essentially purchased and gutted and, you know, remodeled and all that stuff, you know, before life went crazy, you know, to handing the keys over to a couple of online strangers, more or less, you know, in the span of roughly a week and a half, um, you know, we had kind of agreed to everything and she was in town and then October 18th is when we hit the road. So it, uh, it was it, a lot happened pretty fast for sure. So, Driving through Canada, made it to Colorado. And I know a lot of people are probably thinking, thinking of them, thinking in their minds, right? Kid that has lung issues and respiratory challenges, pulmonology, whatever, and moving to Denver, the mile high city at elevation. Um, you know, what's the, you know, did you potentially make a wrong decision doing that? And absolutely not, right? That's the, the kicker. I think for one, um, National Jewish Hospital is 
kind of renowned for, you know, their, their care. But when you think about like, you know, at elevation, you, people that need that care really need it. So and we yeah. went from a, you know, one pulmonologist in Anchorage to now having, you know, basically a team, you know, quarterback by a rough, I don't know how many are actually attached to her more or less, but several. Um, and, you know, we've had like one lead doctor, but you know, it was part of a team more or less. Well, that and could I venture a guess also yeah. that being the fact that you're at a mile high, it's not the elevation. It's not high enough that you need to worry about oxygen deprivation, but the fact that it is a little lower altitude actually works in the processing of the lungs doing better work because they're not being fed such rich oxygen that they have to work to absorb more per breath than a richer environment. So yes, right. I think the the longer term outcome will be much better in the long run, right? Yeah. There's a reason why almost all of the Olympic skiers and stuff like Train. that all come from Colorado, right? Like the U.S. Olympic, you know, Olympic training center is in Colorado Springs, you know, at six thousand plus feet, um, you know, just south of me here, and it's no joke, man. Like the yeah. the kids that are born here and raised at at you know higher elevations. They form additional bronchial tubes, uh, you know, in their, in their, in their head. Um, I think the formal term is like, you know, actually in the year, but their sense of stability and, and equilibrium is much higher than, than kids, you know, born at sea level, uh, yep. raised at sea level. Um, and the, the longer term effect on her, you know, pulmonology and you know, respiratory success, I think will be, you know, we're told, you know, should be much more advantageous than other kids too. Cause I mean, her going back to like the eye conversation where, you know, exposure to oxygen stimulates growth, um, you know, a little bit reduced oxygen, which there's about, I think 12% less oxygen in the air yeah. here than there is at sea level, something yep. like that. Yep. Um, in that ballpark, that may not be the exact figure. Don't quote me on that. But uh, it, the, the lower atmospheric pressure do a little bit. But she will, like, my, my, my daughter will have, I think, a, a higher, um, I think, a, just a quality of life in the end. Yeah. Um, I, but however, I think she, her growth and stuff has, is, a, is a little bit stunted because of the situation she's in, you know, the but you current, can, but, current but, state. But, but also, yeah, you're supplementing term. oxygen right now as well, still, right? No, oh, we haven't no been more? on oxygen for quite a while now. Oh, so oh okay. Good, good, cool. good point. Okay. So yeah, we, yeah. we went from full time oxygen 24 hours a day, essentially when we first got, like, even before we first got here. Um, and that was, you know, October. I think we, yeah, we pulled in like the 28th or so of October to, to Denver of 21. Um, we came off of daytime oxygen around January or February of 22. Oh, oh, good, good. And then, so we were just doing oxygen nighttime. at nighttime. Yeah. The, um, you know, when she was sleeping or napping more or less. And we we're, we're watching kind of her stats. Like we have a, you know, a actual medical grade pulse ox here at the house still do. Um, we kind of track her, her oxygen, oxygen saturation. We've done a couple of at home sleep studies and kind of tracked that too. And have, have pulled her off of, we pulled her off of, uh, even nighttime oxygen. Want to say around October of 22. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, maybe maybe August or September in that in that time frame. 
Um, we had kind of, you know, hot and cold, pulled it off, put it back on, whatever, over that time frame. But, um, you know, we effectively were given the, you know, formal all clear in, you know, last, this past fall. Good, man. Congrats. That's, that's huge. Congrats. Yeah. We've had to put it on a couple of times since she's, she had a, a pretty nasty, like cold <laughs> flu sort of thing, um, back in like February of this year. Um, so like knowing when she gets congested, stuff like that, you can tell you know, yeah. things that you look for, um, you know, retractions and stuff like that. Just her work of breathing is a bit, you know, ex- ex- exasperated. So you put, we put her back on oxygen a couple of times, but yeah, from a I would normal state of mind, she's not on oxygen anymore. Good, good deal. Good deal. That's awesome. Um, and then- yeah, it'd be a nightmare if she was just because of like how mobile she is and how long that two would have to be and everything that we get caught on in between. <laughs> oh, dude, like the I, amount of, I can just see it now. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can see it now. Like her, her running, you know, the, cause we, she, we had the, you know, the cannula, the oxygen cannula on her, on her nose with these, you know, stickers, these, you know, kind of medical tape on her face. And I can just see her like, you know, running across the room and that tube gets snagged on something and just it pulls her, snaps her backwards and she falls on the floor. I, oh. <sighs> but yeah, I'd, I'm be thankful for that one then. Yeah, for sure. Well, good, good. Um, oh, I was just going to say, um, does oh what nope lost it sorry go for it i lost it no you're good yeah the the now that we're kind of in the you know somewhat normal situation too like we went back to alaska in may of 22 um and you know formally sold our house to to these guys got all of our stuff out of there you know, um, and did that when we went back, we, you know, brought all of our stuff with us naturally. Um, we, she had just gotten clearance to fly with oxygen like that, like earlier that April. So about a year ago now, give or take. And, and, uh, and that was her first like major flight going back to Alaska, which, you know, it's, it's not a short flight either. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got her there that afternoon, that evening, we put her down in bed and she was at a hundred percent saturation at sea level without supplemental oxygen. Yeah, and that's was like, and that's the benefit. Well, that's the benefit of altitude. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly yeah. what altitude living there, training there, whatever it is, is for. Because once you get back down to sea level, you're supercharged. <laughs> exactly, and I'm yeah, I see that now too. Like, like on you know, I, I take trips for for work and stuff, and you know, I'm. I'm not an in shape person. I'm, you know, 270, 280 pounds and I'm not a light guy. And that's why I was saying I probably should go for a run. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, I mean, when I you know, was, in, I was in Florida last week and, and it was, uh, <laughs> dude, I felt like I could run a marathon. Yeah. Um, and hanging out, like I was walking, you know, walking all over the place for this conference I was at. And it was a, uh, it was a trip, man. And, you know, 20 plus thousand steps a day. Like I'd be exhausted doing that in Colorado for sure. Right. Uh, we have a, a brewery we like to visit. In fact, I think we might be going up there tomorrow, but it's at like 9,500 feet. And even just like walking around, you know, having beers, walking up, sta- walking up the stairs, to that place at, at elevation to that, that, that takes it out of you. Oh, dude. And I'm here to tell you too, booze hits a little different. Yes, it does. Elevation. Yes, it does. I, uh, 
I, I, I was aware of that. Went to uh, obviously went up there and visited Jason and Jada there in Boulder, and so, um, yeah, definitely noticed that. Yeah, I need to go see them too. We, you know, we we played Halo. We talked about that a couple of times. That's the sort of the the downside nature of that, though. Is like you know they're almost the, the better part of two hours away from me, dude. So. Yeah, yeah. It's but, he, well, he comes he comes and watches the Avalanche play in Denver all the time. Yeah, we talked about trying to go for, trying to meet up for a game too. It just hasn't quite worked out yet. You will maybe now that the playoffs are rolling here, starting on Monday, they're playing the Kraken too. So we'll have to I'll have to hit him up. We'll see if we can get together for a game. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he'd be down for it. Shout out to Jason. We get lots of good shout outs on this episode, man. That's that's awesome. Yeah, doctors that'll probably never hear this episode too, but you know, music teachers. People that need recognition in our lives to make the make this world go around because well and and giant parts of the reason we are the people we are today you know it's it, yeah. it it's important to recognize the the impact given to us by our mentors our you know the the people there I, I well, shout out to your mom too while we're at it right like shout your out mom to my was like, mom was like my second mom more or less you know growing up too like the closer closer closest thing i had to a mom you know aside from my grandparents really but more or less for you know my teenage years yeah my mom i spent uh, a lot of time at your place over yeah you did yeah Yeah, you did especially after i got after we were both driving oh yeah 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 lots of lots of good lots of good memories man late nights mountain dew movies halo man (laughs) lots of good lots of good memories from back in that day you're you are right though it, it kind of is like you have that memory of it happening but to say which summer did that happen yeah i don't know if i could do that that's that's for sure i don't and it's, it's crazy to think too like the, the the world of smartphones didn't really come like this is where i start to think like holy fuck i'm an old guy now right it's like i didn't have a smartphone growing up like that wasn't Dude. even a thing nope the, I mean, the, the closest biggest, thing we had to was like the Motorola Razor. Well, I was going to say, like, I was going to say, we, as a, as my family, we thought we were so fucking technologically advanced when in like, God, it may have even been like 99 or 2000, we got ha- cordless handsets for our, our landline. So you could walk around your house with a landline not attached to the receiver on the wall. Yeah. Like, and we were like, oh, we are rolling it. We are techie. Like, that was the cool shit, dude. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, a large part of it, of me coming to your place, too, is, like, mooching off of your internet that I couldn't get at my place. Yeah, that's right. Because I was stuck in the fucking dial-up era in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, we had DSL. Yeah, For some dude. reason, because c had it. Yeah, which, I mean, is a far cry from you know, what we're rolling with now, too, for sure. But, oh, if, but yeah, I mean, like the, the, the camera phones were like, we're just becoming a thing, like the latter part of my high school years. Yeah. I mean, and you, I, I found a couple photos over the years, too, like that were taken with that phone and they're just absolutely god awful. You can't even really tell what's in them, honestly. Dude, I was in college. Was right in I was in college before I had my first camera cell phone. Before I owned one, so 
I worked at ACS that summer after I, gra- I graduated high school. So the summer of 07. So before I went to, I was that theater job I mentioned. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the main perk was like, you you know, getting 50% off of that cell phone. So I'd just buy it in cash, not like no contract, whatever. So I bought a, my, my, the phone that I, I mean, the Razor was kind of all the rage, of course, but uh, yes, the, it was. the Crazer, which had a much better speaker and had, you know, an SD card slot for music and shit. Uh, I bought, that's the phone that I bought, mm. um, when it, you know, kind of came out in that store, our store got it. Um, and dude, that was the, that was the shit at the, at that, at that point in time. And oh, of yeah. course, I think it was, uh, it would have been that sept like that fall of 07. Uh, sorry, no, we graduated. So like, yeah, that the latter fall of 07. So that when we, I was actually in college. I think that's when the actual original iPhone dropped, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe. <clears throat> Maybe. You're Hold probably on. right. Hold on. Let's look. You're probably we right. We have the internet at our, at our disposal now, right? Yeah. 07. You're probably right. It was right about that time. Holy shit. This is the first thing I've gotten right from a time perspective on this on this entire episode. June 29th, 2007. Yeah. It was announced January 9th of 07. Um. So prior to actual high school graduation, but anyway, the, um, yeah, but having that, the, the whole smartphone concept and didn't actually occur until we were out of high school. And now like, you know, yeah, dude, kids well, in high school today, like I can only imagine now what my daughter's going to, going to effectively grow up with. Well, here's the thing, man. I mean, I'm, you're right there. You're only two years behind me, but like I have, I mean, I remember in high school do researching stuff for like papers for class and your first turn was to go to the rolodex of fucking catalog book catalogs in your library and go to the encyclopedia section or go to this section and Dewey Decimal System, those fucking books, dude. Like, that's how I researched stuff for papers. I didn't mm-hmm. Google a fucking thing. The internet, to me, back in the day, was not a place for learning and research. It was like, fuck, man, MySpace wasn't even invented yet. Like, like we, you know, you, you, you had some games on there. There was, there was MSN Messenger. There was AOL chat there was yahoo chat there was like you know there was some there was some uh pirating pirating servers that were happening at that time early 2000s um at alcazar uh-huh dude mine mine forever is mx t- or um um win mx mm-hmm. i was yeah. uh i was an early user of win mx man back in the day when the, i mean there was like ten thousand people total read on win mx at any like ever and then by the time I was, by the time Kazaa or LimeWire or any of those came out before they got really bad, um, WinMX was like 400, 500,000 people, you know? And like, it, it just, it went crazy. It went crazy. The yeah, I got really ingrained in like the whole like IRC and message, like news oh, group yeah. message boards. Cause there was a really good way to get those. That's like the original internet, even before like oh, new yeah. websites were a major thing. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah. Anyway, that notwithstanding, that was the large reason though, that we were, we were uh, together as well, sharing, 
you know, media and downloading shit. And- oh yeah, man. Early, early days, man. Remember e-bombs world oh, back yeah. when e-bombs world was like YouTube. Like it was yeah. the first YouTube before YouTube was e-bombs world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was big. I, uh, the first, do you remember the first, uh, uh, search platform that you that you used. I mean, Ask G's is probably the first one that, that I re- really recall oh, using. Oh yeah, okay. Um, Mine was Alta Vista. Alta Vista, yeah. yeah. Alta Netscape Vista was, was the, kind of the main one. Oh yeah, there. Netscape yeah. too. Yeah, Netscape too. Yeah, I remember in elementary school we had the internet. We got. The, Man, did our, our my elementary school got the internet in like '98? I want to say '97 or '98 is when we had a computer that would go on the internet, and um, I remember it. Oh God, fourth grade, fifth fifth grade, you get on and you would. It, we had uh, the colored Max. The IMAX, <laughs> remember those? The colored IMAX. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, the, the the candy shell ones. The, that's like, it. The translucent, see through, look ones. inside Sha- the computer. My guy Patrick, who also oh, you know, same shout out to Rusty Patrick. And I. Yeah. Dude, he had he had a a blue one, the blue G three IMAX two back in those days. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, no, yeah, I got on there and you open up the internet icon and it would just open up right to like, just like now to Google or whatever. And it was to Alta Vista and the first, I wish I could remember the first thing I searched for. I think we were giving, no, what I think it was, is was an instruction on how to use it. And so we were given like a, tre- a, a it was like a treasure hunt almost. It was a paper, like go to the computer, open up this thing. Uh, go to this, search for this, look for this thing and write down the, you know, I think it was one of those type of, I can't remember what it was prompting me to look up, but <laughs> it was, a well, about that same time frame that my elementary school in Sherwood, um, had just gotten a gateway computer lab and Ooh. internet connected all that around that like 98 time frame, And they had brought someone in to do, uh, um, like it was Java coding. I'm trying to remember the structure was though, but it wasn't like a, a like an open, a freely open sort of thing. Like you had to get picked for this, you know, special class more or less. Yeah. And there was only a handful of kids from, you know, my class and, you know, the fellow, I think it was like, I think it was fifth grade, um, you know, fellow fifth grade class to come and, you know, do this lab more or less and, and take this class. It was, it was a ton of fun. I mean, I, of course, never really did shit with Java like most people ever did, but um, very. I mean, it was it was fun. It was kind of cool to be like part of that that club. Yeah, but, yeah, which also translated to the chess club. So, oh, was, uh, of course it did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I I spent my many a year in chess club in high school. That was a lot of fun. Um, I, yeah, it was. It's funny thinking back. Like you talk about, you got a gateway computer lab. I remember we had a uh, an Apple II computer lab, all green, black and green screen, five and a half inch floppies. <laughs> uh, put the disc in and turn the little knob to to lock the disc in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. That was that was our high tech computer lab. Man was. Was fucking Apple twos. 
you'd go in there and do, do play games, spelling games, and like the faster you could spell words, the faster your rocket would shoot or your thing would shoot ships out of the sky, kind of like uh, asteroids or whatever, but spelling, yeah, yeah. spelling related. You know, it's interesting being in the tech world now too, right? Like, you know, I come across people who have been in the profession for 30 plus years and, oh yeah, you know, they're telling stories of stuff that they did that, <laughs> you know, I've never been exposed to even, you know, now in this part. It's like, it's interesting, like the, the generations that we kind of grow up in, you know, like I'm, you know, now the whole world of, you know, AI and automation and all oh. that stuff is, is, is taking oh. over this world too. Of course, Let but. me ask you this. This is a perfect yeah. fucking thing to, 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 to wrap on. AI, you're in the tech world. How convinced are you that chat GPT is doing anything close to AI? I mean, it is AI. Well, okay. Okay. Anything close. So chat G- Chat GPT. So the, there's a a structure behind this, right? So GP. There's generations of this. So yeah, yeah. TV yeah. three. GTP three. GPT three uh, was a disconnected form of, of AI machine learning. So machine learning is the concept here. Uh, okay. Well, um, let let me be more specific because because I totally I totally get. It. I I didn't. I wasn't as specific as I meant to say. People sure. are wanting to imbue the sentences. The the categorization the conversations had with chat gpt3 or chat gpt4 which is going to be out soon um or is already out but not chat gpt is gpt4 yeah okay yeah okay so um they're wanting to imbue far more of a closer thing towards sentience or uh sparks of humanity or things like that of of more than of of a general artificial intelligence than just a artificial intelligence machine learning algorithm how convinced are you of that how 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 as as what you do how how do you differentiate it cuz i have my opinions but I think it, it, so the, the boundaries of, of what AI can do is something that a human will specifically set, right? Of course. The, I don't, the, the whole concept of Skynet and becoming <laughs> sentient and you know, overcoming humans and like minority report and all that. Um, I am not convinced that that will occur in our lifetime. Um, I am convinced that it will be weaponized. Of course. Um, you know, one thing that we're seeing right now, the, the, the advent of quantum computing, like, so encryption. So let's, let's take a step back from just the AI conversation right now, right? Yeah. Talk about like a privacy and security standpoint, which is where my focus mainly is professionally. Well, and it's, it's of the utmost importance right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, data breaches, like ransomware is now a business model. Like yes. That's, that's the scary part of this shit. Um, Terrifying. Like, yeah, for sure. And the, that this aspect now, man, of, 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 you know, quantum computing, you know, potentially getting to a point to be able to, like our encryption levels right now, and you think about just serial level computing, Yep. you know, of, of, individual operations of trying to figure out you yeah, know, the way that yeah, and encryption in your, works. You know, 32, 64, whatever bit encryptions. 
well, I mean, we're 256 and beyond. Like, like right. standard set for, for encryption for data at rest should be somewhere around 4096 bit AES. Oh, yeah. It should take, you know, even a supercomputer hundreds of years, if not thousands, to you know, even break one file. Right. Um, you know, passwords and stuff for AES-256, that's, you know, normal for data in transit, you know, stuff like that. But now, like, the thing for their, their call, like, the, the concept is, like, store now, decrypt later. Like, this is the concept of mm-hmm. bad actors, you know, foreign actors trying to intercept now, you know, intelligence right. data. Right, they don't need to get in right now. Right, exactly. There's no yeah. way they're going to get in right now with, with current technology, but if quantum te- if quantum computing takes off... Where effectively all of the operational, you know, all the operations for you know brute forcing an encryption key can be done at once. Yep. Uh, in theory, um, I mean they can unlock everything they've ever stored, you know, overnight. Correct. So that concept is going to be is that's what freaks me out a bit, like data interception mm. um, and exfiltration. It's like that's the ransomware concept of someone locking you out of your files and things like that and having you pay money. You know, that's a <clears throat> That is a, you know, a serial type of operation, but what's, you know, actually happening now is, you know, bad actors inside of your environment, inside of a, you know, a network environment, they're exfiltrating data. Yes. They're, you know, copying things out and then encrypting your copy. Um, and you don't get access to it anymore unless you pay whatever that, you know, their ransom is. So, um, yeah, the, but as far as like, the AI conversation, um, Think, I think there is a there is a lot of really good intent around the AI structure. I mean, when we get to talk about sentience and the you know the concept of like emotion, you know, some of those higher yeah. like human element sort of things, right? I don't know. I that's I, I listen. I don't man, really, that, really care, but yeah. Well, I I would only care if it were in fact true, and something like a computer program an algorithm whatever be- was in fact sentient and we were then not recognizing it mm-hmm. i mean that's where i would care because that's cruel i mean it's it's it is in fact then cruel um but i i have I've done a I've I've spent a lot of time chatting with these the AIs um I I have a problem because it's called yes I get it artificial intelligence but I have a problem with that in itself that we're calling this algorithm intelligent mm-hmm. and I th- it's it's a misnomer and a bad one and I don't think it is. You don't think it's a misnomer? No. So a lot of these, like GPT four, GPT three, and you know all all these you know quote unquote AI you know programs are built. Like, I mean, if you think about the concept of intelligence, is the theory that you have learned from your past actions to improve yourself for you know going forward. That's what this is, Uh, Um, and that's what they're doing. The the difference is is they are capable uh, these algorithms are capable of, of improving themselves on data sets far beyond any individual's capability to process sure any one individuals sure so you think about it like they're able to 
collectively improve and, and improve themselves and their yeah, perspective. But, but but they don't know what they're looking at. They they they, they do. They do. I I think though that they they understand what they're looking at, and you can ask it to be creative based on what they know. Yeah, but it's bad do. at it. It's it's it's, it's not great. They're, yeah, it's it's they're they're reliably flawed. Mm-hmm. In so all- here's the here here's the thing though, right? So GPT four is the first time that it has been connected uh, to a changing set of data. Yeah, um, to continue to improve itself. Right. GPT three was offline, like closed data set, not changing. There's no feedback looper, real, real, real room for improvement. Yep. Now that's there. So the, I mean, there have been apps already built today that are on the market right now, built entirely in chat GPT, yep. built by GPT four. Oh yeah. That required very little human knowledge or 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 Input. skill yeah, yeah yeah of course to to refine that into an actual published product right right um you can ask it to build you know build you network automation scripts for very specific tasks that would be would require creativity so not just you know mastery of the of of the skill but also creativity to build what's being asked well, and it can do that well well right but but this is this see this is where i i i i can't help but be pedantic is aren't we imbuing are we modifying the term for creativity because i think that if we go yeah if you had a human want to code this thing for this specific script for us we would call it having to also not just follow the general form for this code, but also be creative in it to have it do like, I get that. But all of what we did in that moment was actually still within the parameters of what is allowable to code. And I don't think that, I think if we go, yeah, Hey, create this, this link where I click on it and it shows me that whatever it is, you know, for this page or whatever it is not though being creative because it just has the maximum maximization of the allowable usages of that code like this so mm-hmm. it's it's not doing anything novel it's not it's not doing something ever that isn't only inside of what it could know right it's and and i find that the most striking thing about it is that mm-hmm. it is always only ever limited to what it's been told forever. Yeah. And yet not, not necessarily what has been told, right. But the data it has access to, yeah, to, to, to learn and that that is going to continue to evolve. Right. And the, the it's capability, like it, its parameters around learning are going to be opened as well over time because so back to my point about like GPT four being connected, right. Where the data set it's exposed to changes. 
the amount of computational power for it to continue to process and learn over the course of that data set is going to take some serious time. Oh, yeah. And compute power and all that stuff is going to continue to rise. Like the, the demand for that is going to continue to rise. Yeah. You know, things like the, you know, the in, impact on, you know, computing around like just blockchain from crypto, which is, you know, relatively, you know, you would think relatively niche, but I mean, there's entire server farms, you know, data centers developed, you know, dedicated to blockchain. Yep. Now, like, you know, AI being enterprise, you know, having a, you know, a, a stake in the enterprise more or less. Um, I mean, we're, we're about to see, you know, AI specific products hit the enterprise market more or less. And to, they need the servers for that. They need the servers. They need the servers for that. But it, that's the other thing too, is like, we're going to, we're about to see in the tech industry. Um, I'm not going to say a displacement, but we're going to see a pretty rapid shift in human engagement in certain like operational level roles in, in, in technology. Yep. Um, I mean, I've, I've said this even just over the course of the last five years, I've been, you know, focused on automation where, you know, almost every single you know, outage that we have in the technology world is caused by human error. Yeah. And we're about <laughs> yeah. to enter, enter a time where the need for human in, in, involvement in the operation of a technology infrastructure is going to be near zero. Right. So right, similar yeah, to what, like ro- what well, robotics did to like assembly lines and, and yeah, factory but, workers and things like that, yeah, we're and, about to see AI and software-defined infrastructure. But we will uh, always take need, that leap, right? But we but, will we will always need someone to flip the switch. Yeah, right. But I mean, the the potential for a team of of fifty as it sits right now to like, be a team of five. Te- yeah, the tech industry as it sits right now is the largest employer in the country of any te- of any sector, right? Just and uh, simply because what we're trying to accomplish requires so much manpower, as it is right now. Yeah. Right, as it is. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but I mean, at the time, like you go back to the industrial revolution, factory jobs were the number or the number one number one paying number one employment sector back then. Yep, they sure were. And then now, I mean, it's. It's an interesting time time shift that I think we're about to see pretty soon. Am I? I'm a little worried for my job for sure, but um, well, now now here's the thing with security needs like that, AI's I could see being implemented in vast ways of watching for ransomware, malware, fraud, things like that happening. Yep. Um, you would. It seems to me, though, as far as quality control, as far as a like like an over that that system needs mo- human monitoring, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, you know, we it's going to take like it's for now like the correlation and interpretation of a lot of you know, different threads of you know disjointed <laughs> products in that space and and tools that that you know, security teams have to analyze things. Um, but certainly I don't think we're that far off from being able to use, you know, a, a product with AI machine learning to stitch all those together. Sure. Um, to enhance the capability for a human to detect, you know, issues in an environment. Yeah. Um, you know, we have machine learning in certain tools now that watch like user behavior. So when we mm-hmm. talk about like the, 
the case with this gentleman in, in, in Massachusetts that, you know, is now being thrown into the wolves for treason for, you know, pulling classified documents. But yeah. for them to take, you know, a month or so to find that individual. You know, with he was on a some, Discord server. On a Discord server, yeah. For Minecraft. Yeah. But factor that in for, you know, a you know, data loss prevention for user behavior where he, you know, never had access to these files before. Right. Um, you know, would have thrown a red, would have thrown a red alert, you know, around, you know, the data he's accessing well before he has a chance to actually put it out there. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, to, to, to wrap that, right. I think the, the, the revolution of AI in, in our world as it sits now, I think is much sooner, is much closer than we might think it is. Um, I mean, like I said before, but not we're a, seeing, not a GI, just AI and functional correct. AI. Yeah. yeah. We're not going to see genuine, you know, genuine intelligence, like, like, you know, what I call true intelligence, you know, or you know, sentience or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think the concept is more science fiction, but I, I think it is closer to reality now. The question's going to be, if, well, it's, yeah, sorry, go, sorry. No, I was going to say, I think that our, the AI is only going to be as strong as the, as the data that we present to it to continue to learn from. And the, and, you know, the more time that it has to, you know, to process and learn from it. So, so the Google dude who, was doing dealing with the Google AI who said that it became sentient. You, you call bunk on that. You think that guy about that? I, you think that guy read into read, I anthropomorphize that into that AI a little bit. I'm, I mean, I'm familiar with the, with, with the, the situation you're referring to. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but you know, it's, it's a situation. I think like when you put yourself in an engineering standpoint, when you're building a product, you get close to it. Um, and then the, I don't know if you've seen Megan, the, the AI movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like where you, you get close to it and you, you assume like you be, it, be, it becomes very close to real. You, know, you don't know if it is or not. Um, I, I think that's probably on that borderline of, of, you know, emotion and emotional attachment. I mean, we as humans are a very emotional beings and yeah, absolutely. there is, Oh, I have I no, mean, I have no doubt that he th- he truly believed he experienced it. I have no doubt that the guy believes it, but the machine itself was either sentient or it wasn't. It, it, there's no middle ground. It either was or it wasn't. And I am pretty largely convinced that it was not, but he definitely thought it was. I don't know. I could be wrong. I, I, I haven't seen in from, I mean, I've I've done a bit of digging. I haven't seen anything that actually proves it was. But the, the for context, right? The de- like the definition of like sentience, you know. But it comes to artificial he says intelligence it, he, operating is 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 that program or that AI operating outside of the bounds of the data it's presented or the, or the function it was built to do. He says it was in fact self-aware. And, and not only, not only cognizant of the fact it was thinking, cognizant of the fact that the others interacting with it had their own thoughts too. That's what he <laughs> says. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I would have to, I mean, I, 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 I would I, give him the benefit of the doubt. 
I'm, I'm not sure. The question's going to be like, is it only interpreting, only interpreting that, that definition of sentience just based on like, you know, novels it has read about, you know, or it has it has dissected and, exactly. and interpreted, it, but that's that's exactly of my, the human element, right? Of course, if it read, if if it had access to every turn of the century novel, of course mm-hmm. it would have the cataloged dialogue to and it and it had seen Casablanca, it would have the dialogue to mimic any type of conveyable worry that someone caring about it and close to it and it's his baby would go oh my god it said this thing and i mean to me that's far more plausible and realistic as an occurrence than this one single machine you know became fully yeah, self-aware I mean, being a- <laughs> yeah being able to to have a conversation and correlate you know that that input with, you know, a logical component that came from a novel or something like that. Yeah. That's the thing too, is like, they're not like, aside from, you know, the, an an algorithm being able to distinguish, you know, fact from fiction, which is also an interesting conversation that's also happening in that world right now too. It is. Think about opening its, opening its world to like, you know, written literature, you know, what can it, how can it interpret fact versus what, you know, what's you know, designated fiction and things like that. Oh yeah. Um, I've, I've spent many times asking it to tell me about a, an event or tell me about a place and it'll start pretty damn decent. And every, almost on every one of them, there's all like toward the end of its description, it starts in like, you could tell it's pulling from sources and some of these sources are opinion sources. And so a description of, napoleon or something will start having opinions in it and uh, and you're like hey i know you're not actually opinionated so you're not you can't tell what what source you should be telling me from right you know it's 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 funny man it's also interesting that when you actually ask it like a pointed question asking for an opinion um it's it's kind of breakdown of of uh, you know, form and function. Yeah. The, yeah. it does not have that, uh, you know, the capability more or less to discern your emotion. Right. Yeah. So when you think about like the, just the sentience concept, I, I just, I can't see it really kind of acting and going beyond, you know, where that's, where that, uh, you know, conversation sits. Yeah. Me neither. Cool. Well, Hey, this has been a, a great time. We just crushed the three hour mark. Uh, so let's, let's me do this. I end my podcasts in the same way. Aaron's Poetry Corner. Guys, as we've been doing this last little bit of this series, um, I'm go, I'm, I'm pulling Shel Silverstein back off of the shelf to get a little more because, they just they just make my heart happy. We are reading out of where the sidewalk ends today, and uh, this one is called Warning. Inside everybody's nose, there lived a sharp-toothed snail. So if you stick your finger in, he may bite off your nail. Stick it farther up inside, and he may bite. He may bite your ring. He may bite your ring off. 
Stick it all the way in, and he may bite the whole darn thing off. That's good. I like it. Love it, man. I I saw you pull that, you know, pull the book out when when the audio rolled out. You know, where the sidewalk ends. One of my favorite ones from Shel Silverstein originally. Um, you know, growing up was falling up. Oh yes, falling up is so um, good. I have not pulled that one off the shelf in forever. So and you're inspiring me. I love it. I love it. Uh, okay, here's another one. The planet of Mars. On the planet of Mars, they have clothes just like ours. And they have the same shoes and the same laces. And they have the same charms and the same graces. And they have the same heads and the same faces, but not in the very same places. And it's a picture of a guy with a head growing out of his butt. <laughs> and I like it. Okay, let me do one. One of my favorite ones from from that, I just pulled it up. Um, Yeah. If you were a, I I didn't remember the name of it, so I had to search for the dreamer thing. But um, if you were a dreamer, come in. If you were a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire. For we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in. Come in. Ooh. I love that. Yeah, no matter where you walk, what your background is, let's have a chat. Yeah, even and if you're a pretender, come sit the closest to me. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, come sit by my fire, yeah. Uh, okay, the land of happy. Have you been to the land of happy where everyone's happy all day? Where they joke and they sing of the happiest things and everything's jolly and gay? There's no one unhappy in happy. There's laughter and smiles galore. I have been to the land of happy. What a bore. (laughs) I, I absolutely love when he does things like that and describes his place and then actually talks the truth of what he thinks about a place like that. Because I believe if it was a place where everyone was always fucking always, it would be boring. Yeah, it's BS, right? That's the, there's a, so in falling up, um, I, I don't remember the whole poem and I don't have it. Um, but the, the, like the main poem of the whole book is, you know, kid goes to tie a shoe, uh, or stumbles, stumbles over a shoelace, I think, and falls up to the rooftops, whatever, yeah. looks around him. It's like, and then he gets, gets sick of what he's seeing, you know, seeing everything, like, right? And then, throws down right it's like th- <laughs> throwing up right throws yeah. down just funny too but it's like it's like an ignorance is bliss sort of situation like the more oblivious you are all the other shit that happens in this world the better yeah yeah it's not it's not too far off that's why i envy kids man i envy kids and the little the the, the, the tiniest amount of worry you know the mm-hmm. and it's uh that is an envious state. Thank you for joining That's, me tonight, man. Oh, sorry. Go. Yeah. Finished. No, I was just, was just going to say, we, I just had this conversation just this past week, just, I think yesterday, uh, just like the, uh, you know, cause it's, you know, middle of the month bills and stuff. Right. And it's like, man, like going back to being a kid, being, you know, Sydney's age, you know, not having a care in the world about, you know, where you know what comes out of the checking account when what do you what do you owe when's money coming in when's money going out like 
all the crap that and, comes with being an adult and being uh, and being a kid and hearing adults tell you, "Oh, just wait until you're here," and not heeding that warning like one should. Oh, dude, yeah. Like, there's that scene in Billy Madison. <laughs> Oh. Right, and this is probably probably a good one, right? Where yes. he goes back to school and to win his dad's business or whatever, and he's like, "I can't wait till I get to go to high school." This kid's like, "Don't, Don't you dare, dare say that!" Shaking his head. <laughs> Don't you dare say like he just shakes this kid's head. Oh, Billy, I he's can't like, wait. Stay as long as you can. Don't ever yeah. leave. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great moment in Bill. Oh God, I love that movie so much. I want to watch the- it again. That is the best uh, moment of, of of life lessons, I think, that we can close or, this episode very well on. Or, if peeing your pants is cool, consider me Miles Davis. <laughs> That's <laughs> also the grossest it. thing I've ever heard in my life. Let's go. <laughs> All right, Britt, I love you, man. You're the best. Uh, thank you for joining me on this wonderful journey through time and stuff for all of you out there joining me. Uh, I appreciate your continued support, everything you guys do hanging out, you know, where you can reach me, you can message me, all that stuff. Uh, and like I do every time tell you drive like, you know, each other. <laughs>